All right, welcome to the very first episode of the Tombed Visions interview series. Owning a small record label and being involved in Britain's experimental music community for a fair few years has meant that I've been lucky enough to share the company of some incredibly talented people. What I realised quite clearly during lockdown, aside from being unable to gig, is just how much that I missed having conversations with my peers and the people I look up to backstage. So really, this show is an excuse to chat in detail and most importantly, at length, which will be considerable at times, with musicians and artists that have made a profound impression on me. We will be discussing their creative approaches, their inspirations and the day-to-day practicalities of music making that we often take for granted, which is a real key reason why this show was created. My guest on this Maiden show is London-based composer and filmmaker Clint Trofer, also known as the Duke of Zouk, who I've released two albums by. I've known Clint since I was a little kid, and it was really refreshing to put aside, for the most part, our relationship as friends, and just talk to him candidly about his own creative process and his approach to recording his latest album, Wedding Songs. All right, Clint, um, thanks for taking the time to, to speak to me today. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, good, man. Good. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm all right. Caffeinated, been for a run, ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to discuss your new record, Wedding Songs, which uh, recently came out. Uh, When did we release it? Uh, Well, it was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day on cassette and then Spotify 31st of March. So after almost. Now, the reason I sort of... uh, uh, release the record was because it just sounds so accomplished like it it just feels like a a great modern album um you know that with the track order to just even the sort of consistencies of sounds across the different songs um it just felt like quite a step up from your, your first release that i put out a couple of years ago um so i guess wanted to sort of discuss the making of the record and uh, and some of the approaches that you used. So how did you arrive at the decision that you were sort of ready to record this record? Um, well, I mean, yeah, thanks for saying that. I mean, it obviously means a lot. <laughs> I was very happy that you put it out. I didn't want to hassle you into putting it out, but uh, yeah, and I don't think you would lie about it. So yeah, thanks no. for saying that. And a couple of other people have actually said the same kind of thing, like more mature and more accomplished. So. That was certainly the objective of it. And uh, yeah, so it's good to hear that that's hopefully come across. Um, in terms of being ready, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, it was like definitely a long time coming. It, you know, it was, it, was, it was almost, it was actually probably started initially like about, probably about seven years ago, trying to do the last, the last song on the record, like that being ready and being like, okay, let's, let's start doing it. And, you know, whatever, move to, move to London. And um, I think I was just speaking to my friend Stephen a, c- a couple of years back, uh, just before lockdown, and, and he had a studio, and he was like, oh, if you want to come down, you know, you can do some songs. So that was kind of uh, in the discussion, and it just never happened. And then he went to France, and he moved to France, and then we were talking about going to, to do it in Paris at some point, and that never materialised either. And then I actually supported his band, Psychic Markers, in, um, I guess it was November 2021, 
and um, they asked me to come and support. So yeah, I did did the show, and their drummer Jim, who actually ended up like producing the record, although he wouldn't want to, want me to say that, but engineered it. He was dr- he was drumming for them. So after the set, he was like, "Oh yeah, that's really cool, man. Like, have you have you thought about recording it? Like, where are you at with recording?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, actually, funnily enough, I've been trying to record it for like the last couple of years, and I'm kind of like ready to go now. I think like that whole set plus a few other bits and a few other ideas. Like, I think there's enough there, and you know, I'm confident enough in the songs to do it." So so he was working at um, Strong Room Studios in Shoreditch, kind of like subletting, or there was three of them, I think, splitting it equally. And he drums in a couple of bands and produces artists and helps them uh, finish their records and stuff. So, yeah, it was just like a case of like booking in the day. I think we were like, let's do end of Jan, you know, next year. And I can just sort of like rehearse and get ready. So, yeah, we just locked the days in and, and uh, yeah, all, all sort of like came together. Certainly the first session. So it's good to like go in and and you know like have the dates locked in i think for me personally like i'm you know like i need kind of like i need like uh, the dates to be locked in you know so i don't let somebody down like because <laughs> if not i just drive, drive yeah exactly and like a deadline or at least a deadline or a date locked into to go in and do the record so yeah yeah so that's kind of like how it started and you know those first two sessions first two days back to back like as productive as they were and as much as we did get done as soon as they were finished we were kind of, i was kind of like you know we haven't even really done like a third of the record like we haven't even started <laughs> it's like kind of start with one and get the bulks down like the main loops and find the tones and get them on the grid and jump onto something else do some overdubs and then on the second day i'd be like okay well we're running out of time so let's like at least get the get like the sort of bass down for the rest of them and then we can go from there so um after those first sessions he we basically did some rough mixes and i took them away and then um yeah you know just like working on them at home like still writing and like adding parts to them and developing them and um yeah from from there um i think like i was like subletting a studio in finsbury park at the time as well for a couple of days a week so that was like good for me to like get my head down and 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 like go there out of the house and 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 like be able to make a bit more noise and also there was like a piano there and some really good monitors and just being in that space like and having access to that space was quite inspiring and, and made me sort of be like look you're paying for this you've started your record like you need you need to get it done <laughs> because if i was just doing it myself in my bedroom you know i would have just taken longer and so it's nice to sort of have yeah yeah the limitations of the studio time and and you know somebody else working with you like this needs to be finished because i'm not going to stay working here forever <laughs> yeah so so the, the recording process in in a sense was sort of quite fractured then you would have set days in the studio and then in between those days you would be sort of for one of a better word you'd be like sort of workshopping the material at your own um, subletted studio space in Finsbury Park, I think you said. Yeah. So the, the piano that was there, did you actually use that on the record? Yeah, that's the piano. Some piano, that's right? Yeah, so it's on, I think it's just on the first track. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so going to this place, having the studio, having the piano there as well, like, um, I just like was trying to learn the basics as well and actually put the you know <laughs> learn the chords properly rather than just like trying to write a melody that fits in with anything you know that's quite easy so i'd actually end up spending a lot of time there just playing piano just like fucking around like you know trying to play radio or whatever or like a bit <laughs> of bark so then but once we had the the kind of 
you know the a good version of the first song i was like yeah i'd like to do some piano on this so i would just be playing it like playing the song through through logic on my headphones and and have just have the piano on it some other channels and just noodling along noodling along and then just ended up with all these sketches and then kind of trim them down and then in one of the later sessions when we went back i was like oh, i've got these like piano stems so we're just like putting them into the project so you know i kind of thought that was like a good way of working um yeah, yeah. and also other than the finsbury studio as well also just here with my sound card as well so i would just you know on the other days i don't know just randomly get like inspired or motivated to to, to do some more on the record and you know a lot of the a lot of the guitar parts especially on like um round by waltz and stuff are like you know like semi-improv like first takes just lined in and and you know i thought they like sounded pretty good and i like this kind of mishmash like collage approach to the record in that some of it's done properly and very clean with software synths and then other other parts are like just old stems from random songs like swells and stuff where i was just going through project that's pretty good i'm just going to like export that wav and then just like take them in and then you know just noodling and adding bass parts and you know like what yeah just sort of like mi mixing it up really you know i don't think i could go to the studio for like two weeks and just stay in the same space and just like tick the boxes you know so um i think like most of the songs were were like 80 percent written and like you know could be performed live or like jammed in my bedroom so it's kind of like taking those to the studio and then being like do we need all the parts that that i play live or you know like can we do some better parts or like rewriting parts and you know making like accidental discoveries with pedals and, and just just like you know just messing around you know you, you rely on these kind of like serendipitous moments of rhythm be like well that sounds like really good and like let's just lay it <laughs> let's just lay it down and we had had, had that yeah. free you know and some stuff like worked out pretty pretty good hopefully so like yes i mean i think some people can be restrictive in terms of what sources they use for a record by keeping it um you know any they would keep it sort of dedicated to the studio session that they've done where yeah. it sounds like here you've sort of gotten rid of that limitation and you've just taken any source that would work basically you've, you've sort of injected it into the record which yeah. is really really interesting because the record to me it still sounds like it was sort of completed in sort of one go if you know what i mean rather than a sort of collage of different sources mm -hmm. so i mean i think it, i think that's a sort of a, a a tribute to how well it's been mixed and mastered and sort of all yeah. these competing elements have been you know really really considered well um so that's really really great man um and, and it's you know quite an inspiring way to work i think you know mm -hmm. just you know if if it's going to work within the material there's no it 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 doesn't matter where where it's originally you know the actual source of the audio is originated from it should just go go in the record if it works um so yeah i, I kind of wanted to go through as as much as the record as possible because there's there's so many interesting things about it so with with the the first track clouds mm -hmm. um, that mysterious sort of uh, reverse delay motif was was that is that a guitar yeah yeah so i mean i guess like basically i've kind of like always just been like obsessed with reverse reverb you know it's just like put reverb on it like if you can reverse it like it you know it's just going to make it sound weirder and less like a guitar so that song like it's, it was a played twice it's one of the newer ones one of the last ones written written so it's performed like t live twice uh, like once just right before lock day before lockdown and then 
one that gig in the middle when it kind of first opened up. So when I was doing it first, I was like using the cathedral reverb, like, and it sounded kind of cool and it worked live and it was very muddy. And then when I started to like demo it at home, like it just, it just like wasn't working. It just like wasn't clean at all. It was just really, so I just trying to clean it up, clean it up, make it drier. And then it just was just getting too close to normal guitar. So then I ended up getting the Earthquake uh, devices avalanche run. And like, that's like a delay reverb and it's got reverse and swell. And the reverse on that was just like amazing. And it sounded like super cool so so we're like playing the riff actually in the studio we it was that was one of the first things we did and we spent about three hours uh trying to just get the tempo of it because i would give him the demo and i'd be like actually you know what maybe it's like it's too fast so we're just trying to work out for ages and then i did like what i thought was a really clean loop we laid it down blocked it out i started to do the overdubs and i just couldn't lock in with it i was just like i can't like, i don't know what's up with it so we we're like let's try and work out the the like bpm to get it on the grid so we we're doing like jim's a drummer so he was like clapping and i was playing it clean and we would put it on and then we're trying to um sync the sync the, the the tempo of the of the delay to the rear and then he come back and it's something it's something like 11 9 or something like the way he clapped it along and then he made the net metronome to play because there's like pauses after each phrase so it comes so that's what was throwing me because i couldn't i needed to get with the metronome so we basically managed to get like the reverse like perfect in sync and it sort of sound like a synth i guess and then there's like a cleaner version underneath and they kind of sort of overtake each other and it becomes like a cleaner version. But yeah, I was kind of like thinking like, yeah, this should, this should like probably open the record. I think it's like a nice sound. I quite like the riff. It's a pretty simple riff if you break it down, you know, like logically into terms of like what you're actually playing. It's just like two chords and it's just like add loads of reverb or whatever, mess up with it. So it sounds less like a boring guitar and then um actually that the thing that actually opens the record the guitar detune like i normally tune my high e down to a b like just yeah. to play in unison because even just that it just adds like so much and it means i don't have the really high you know the highest i can go is like the b at 22 or whatever so whatever that note is and then um i was like jamming it and then i was like started to play the higher part and i hadn't tuned the high e down so i just started tuning it over the loop and i was like you know what? i was like maybe that sounds pretty good so i like took it to the studio i was like just record this i was gonna like detune my guitar with loads of reverb and then when i get to the b just hold it and then bring the re and I, and I was just like yeah you know just these kind of like simple little accidental things that can just rather than just going straight into the that main like riff so um, they kind so, yeah. of characterize the song, don't they? Those sort of happenstance, like, you know, those those small sort of improvised elements really sort of characterize the actual tune for you when you step away from it. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. So, yeah, I'm kind of like looking forward to going back out and playing live now I've got these good recorded versions. I'm just working out like how much of that song is going to be like a karaoke backing track or like a, or if i'm going to actually like try and put the main part onto a sample and then jam over it or just do it all myself with like something quite close to it so um yeah i think you only asked if it was a guitar <laughs> that's, <just random> <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what we want i want i want a sort yeah, of yeah 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 it's always really inspiring to hear mm -hmm. how people have um approached recording certain certain material and um, it, I think, you know, going into the specifics about things like that, the mystery is still there, but like, you know, it's a source of inspiration for other musicians, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so track two, Dance Alone, which is one of my favorite on the record, is uh, sort of some guitar motifs. 
which for me is really sort of, and I, you know, I, I know that both of us really, really love Blonde Redhead yeah. and their first few records. Yeah. So it, was, um, it, it really sort of called to mind those, you know, those first two Blonde Redhead yeah. records on Touch and Go. Yeah, for like, sure. Like sort of, um, that's sort of like European, almost <laughs> medieval, yeah. sort of romantic, Baroque guitar thing going on. Yeah, yeah, for so sure, sure. With those guitars, um, like how how are you EQing the guitars on that, and, and what what guitars were you using? Was it was it the Jazzmaster? No, I think that was all on the Schecter. So I mean that yeah, and the same with the same with the first one. First, Clouds is all guitar actually. Everything is guitar except for the piano phrases. So yeah, all, all guitar and, and no bass. Just so just guitar and piano. Um, but yeah, Dance Alone. I think like it's quite funny that you that you've gravitated towards it as well because I think it's been played and like. Kit played it on NTS and that other guy played it in Australia and they both picked that song out. Know, I, I mean, I thought maybe just because it was super short, so it doesn't take up too much time in their sets that they can just play a two minute song. But um, yeah, I mean, the song basically is just the intro to Zampano live. So again, it's like this thing of when I'm playing Zampano live, rather than just kicking the beat and then coming in, it's like I loop that drone, that like kind of, I guess it's like an A might loop that swell and just keep layering it until the join is covered. And then it was just messing around with like the first two chords in Zampano, but like just seeing like, just like, you know, descending down and trying to get like, a, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's like a jazz touch, but yeah, you know, always in that kind of sad minor key, like blonde redhead thing, as you say, maybe even like a bit of Godspeed in there, you know, someone in there kind of like interludes. But yeah, it was just kind of like, you know, I think at the time I was thinking like, not there's not enough short songs on records, like, you know, especially on like ambient record, like everything's really long and it's like, why, you know, I feel like I like interludes and coders, you know, and the intros and stuff. So it was good to just lay that down. But yeah, in terms of the guitars, yeah, I mean, I think the main one is just, is just like my clap, is just, you know, predominantly what is my clean tone, which is probably just the Schecter in the, through the Vox and um, with the, with a Boss RV3. And then the second one, which has got that, is kind of a bit more modulated. I think we put like, um, uh, uh, earthquake, uh, like um, uh, an afterneath reverb and the rainbow machine, just for like a very short. So it's kind of was trying to make it not sound like it was one guitar just delaying after, but um, yeah, just like almost echoing it, you know, it's this kind of vibe where it just sort of almost repeats it in like just panning, you know, just to maybe make it like, you know, sonically like more interesting and, and just like have a little mood with the drone and then the guitar, the drone fades and then it comes back in on Zampano as well. So they almost like lead into each other. And uh, the first picky riff is the same chord. It's like, I think it's like an A minor but with those unisons, it's like played higher just with those, that unison again, man. So, but we're, funny when we were mixing that one, um, it was driving Jim crazy because the second guitar, every part I was like, put it up. But, and he was like, dude, like, this is not making a difference. I'm like, look, so I'm not being anal. You know, there's this, I've heard this thing they say, like, don't mix with your eyes, mix with your ears. And because it was this thin waveform, he's saying, you think it's not loud enough? And I say, no, but honestly, like, <laughs> put it up like just a touch. And even now when I hear it, and I'm like, I'm glad we spent like a bit, like that extra hour doing it because, you know, it's, it's clear, it's clear, you know, but I, I trust his ears more than mine. But on, the, on the, this is one thing I did like fight against and say, no, nah, come on, trust me, like just a, just a, just a few tweaks But the project. I mean, that second guitar, it just hacked to pieces, man, you know, like yeah. all along, faded up, cross fades between the parts. And it's, it's a mess. But yeah, man, it sounds all right. It sounds absolutely seamless. <laughs> and, um, you know, in terms of what one of the reasons that it's uh, one of my favourite songs on the record is um, your sort of 
touch, <laughs> what is a better word, getting in sort of blues lawyer terminology. <laughs> the tone on that, um, on on those guitars is really, really nice. So kind of like what, what guitar wise, Mm-hmm. Um, sort of EQ it like you know from a bass treble mid mid perspective you know just from from a you know amp setting yeah 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 I mean I don't know I mean I guess like as a rule the, the guitar is like my guitar my tone is like quite trebly but without yeah. being shrill but then when you kind of dip down a bit it's quite flat so I think like what we did was we set we just set up the AC15 and, and then there was an AC30 in the studio so we just wow. went in um mic them both up and then we lined out as well so I think for every guitar part especially at the start there was like two amps and two line inversions of well I guess one line and you wouldn't need two maybe one went through the reverb and one didn't um so we always had those options but you know the good the amps definitely sounded better but for me they were always like a bit noisy and he was like don't worry don't worry we'll eq it out really eq it, eq it out and he did but i mean to be honest like after this whole process i mean i'm much more like a line in guy i mean i can like get my you know because i used to like quite a few pedals for me all i really need is like a blank a clean blank canvas you know like and i can just get it and and you know i don't think anyone's gonna listen and go oh that's a, that's a di guitar you know that's like that's like an artificial amp and that's a real amp but i don't know for me it's just quicker and like less faff and i just you know i don't like noise and buzzing and stuff but i think throughout we just mixed all of them i kind of let jim take a have a go on it if anything was too noisy we'd go back into the project and we'd just flick on the the, the di and have a look at that version but yeah, yeah. So again and then but anything i did at home or in that other studio like i just lined it all in man i bought like an apollo sound card and the preamp is like insane and like even the bass on rambo is just like straight line into that and just like a small wow. bit of eq so i mean for me i was kind of like yeah this is like saving me so much time not having to mic up and like yeah fucking around and just quicker with the retakes so um so yeah i don't know i don't know what he did in terms of eq and it's just you know if, if there was bars we'd look for it in the middle and pull it out and i would just or you know occasionally i would be like maybe that guitar is like a bit too shrill and we just cut a bit of the high on it you know so i mean i try not to overthink that kind of stuff to be honest man i don't really i want to get it like you know i know how it sounds in in my bedroom or through my amp and i just kind of want to capture that down and with a few tweaks here and there like get rid of some buzz or some hiss and you know for real but yeah it certainly wasn't not i mean not when i was there anyway maybe he did some more behind the scenes but yeah it certainly wasn't like hours and hours of like eqing guitars and you know getting those mid scoops or whatever or kind of those loads <laughs> yeah get it to sound i mean i just want to get it in time and kind of like consistent you know in terms of velocity and hopefully that we can make it work yeah because you can work on it in post right um and i guess uh, exactly finally on the guitar yeah guitar obsession um <laughs> is he miking it with anything particularly interesting the voxes i mean or is it just uh, like- I th- yeah i mean I th- I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure just the SM57 or at least one. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was any kind of like high end. Um, I mean, what a good vintage mic, guitar mic. I don't know. Neumann's or something. I don't know. Yeah. More for a piano. Yeah. Again, man, to be honest, like if it's not a guitar or a pedal, like as long as it sounds all right to my ear, like I'm not precious and I, I don't I don't really care. Yeah. I think so I just leave the amps are in the other room, you know, so I just went in cheeked it i was like yeah that sounds all right put it through speakers i was like yeah that's that sounds good to me like <laughs> i'm gonna probably be fucking up here anyway so that's like not yeah. really much time on, uh, exactly on the amps i'm making up the amps for me personally so so then we go into like 
a hit of yours, <laughs> uh, you know, which I certainly, I, you know, when I listened to the record, I certainly uh, recognised it from from seeing you live. Um, yeah. So that's Sampano. Yeah, it's been kicking. It's been. I mean, I guess it's been kicking around for ages, and you know, because it's got the beat and it's got the heavy part. Like, yeah. Um, I f- like for for me as like a as like a as like a tool live. It's like it's quite a good one to pull out if I want to start quite ambient and and the and the crowd are like talking and stuff. You know, which they often unless you're playing at like Cafe Otto. You know, people get a bit bored. So so it's a good one to like pull out and then the beat comes in and people are like, oh, well, he's got drums, you know, so he, but it's just meant to be like very industrial, minimal, repetitive, you know, like almost like a kind of, you know, even like a goth or like a dream pop beat. And again, just this, just this main riff, you know, just very minimal, the main riff sort of plays throughout the whole song. And yeah, I guess it's just about building these sections, you know, it's kind of like a lot of tremolo with reverb and then the heavy part, which, you know, that doesn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but it's kind of there. And again, people, you know, a bit more surprised. So nice to just bring it up and then just cut it down to like a nice little outro. Um, but yeah, it's a fun, fun one to play live and there's like plenty of parts to fill in. So I think like recording it, it was kind of all there live. So it's just like, let's just lay them down, layer, layer, and just redo the parts and kind of nothing other than the, other than like the overdubs and the heavy, the heavy part actually took like quite a while to, to get right. I was trying it with like big muffs and these other distortions and, as heavy as it felt like when we're listening back I was kind of like oh, it just doesn't really like sound right you know so I can't I think I ended up just going back to like the rap and then like doing another overdub with like loads of sustain it's like a bit 80s but I was, yeah 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 <laughs> I was kind of into it and just like ah fuck it you know like this is not overthink it so yeah with the exception of the of that part then it was finished and then I kind of just needed rewrote just one of the tiny parts right at the end just to finish it out just that little like motive to give it like a bit of closure but yeah that one was just a case of like just really just filling in the boxes and laying them all down and being like yeah everything kind of works and just sort of placing the the parts panning the parts so they kind of fit in sonically and pull this bit up pull that bit up and um yeah I think I think, I think that was it I think it's <laughs> sort of quite quite like an organized strategy to get that one done because you know you're used to playing it live and yeah. it's like it, it is a statement piece it feels like a, a live track you know yeah. the one that you would thump out live to, to get the audience attention as you said yeah 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 yeah, yeah for sure for sure um and because of the drums i mean it's like very rigid because you've got the beat through the whole song anyway so um you know like it, you, there's not really much you can do with it but yeah it was just it was nice to fill in the pieces and just you know, it's just like oh, I'd grab a few pedals and put like I like I really I still really like the unison part. I think that I think that sounds really nice when it comes in the beat change a bit. Oh, then we added some cymbals as well. I was like, oh, maybe we can just like bring in a bit of hi hat and like just put that in and just another little thing which just you know, I think it was just kind of what else can we do? Oh, let's try a hi hat and again like it added quite low in the mix, but it's pretty cool. So yeah, that one kind of fit together and it was just a case of like just getting the heavy part. You know, sort of as loud as it can be, but still fitting within. Again, Jim, with that one, Jim was like, "Oh, you know, does it? Do you do you really want it that heavy?" He's like, "Oh, should we try like a, like you know, maybe not as much much gain?" I said, "Nah, I think like I think like let's just because there's only really two he- super heavy parts on the album, so I was like, no, let's like keep it heavy and <laughs> add that like lead part after. Well, it's just octaves really after. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind cool. of Morricone esque in places. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I certainly protected more of a Morricone vibe. Um, you got that kind of spaghetti Western guitar 
vibe going in a little bit. Even in the more intense sections, which is really cool to hear. Um, So Buzzard is the next track, which is sort of another smaller scene. Yeah. Um, It's that synths that that make those, is that the audio? Um, No, again, like, again, like all guitar, they get randomly. I think I was just, I was literally just, I was rehearsing for for a show in Dalston at Blue Studios and then just right at the end I was kind of like oh you know time to go so I was just fucking around and I just literally just again it's like you know I'm talking about these like accidental moments I just like had like a slap reverb on and just like fucked around this like little loop looped it and then I was kind of like oh that's pretty cool and now I like reversed it and I was like oh that sounds pretty cool so I literally saved it to the boss sampler because I didn't have my laptop with me so I like saved it as a as like, you know, you can save to the RC3, I think it is, and just save the WAV. So I come back, take the WAV off the pedal, like plug the USB into my computer, take it off, and it's just this really like weird kind of sound, but like super noisy and even like a like a click in there and all this stuff. So yeah. just like looped it out and then did a reverse normal version and then found those swells from like another old song. Just They're just some like cathedral hold, like hold swells. And then just put them together and was just like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. So, yeah, um, it just, and back just back to the live set, it almost just became like the outro of Zampano. So I would just like finish the thing, the song would finish, keep the drone going, and then I just had it in my sampler. So I would just like bring it in. And it was just like, again, it's just like weird. And then just sort of do some swells or so like, you know, anything, just jam over it. It's different every time. But then when it comes to the record, I was kind of like, yeah, so got the wife to gym we just spent ages cleaning up the, the main loop just got shorter and shorter because there was so much noise in it and yeah. then just sort of eq'd it did it did end up putting some like buddhist monk chanting over it or something <laughs> and it was pretty cool at first but i think on like the third mix i was like what are you doing i was like okay just get rid of these so we went back and just like pulled a few bits and put them really low in the mix so you can if you didn't if you didn't know if you weren't looking for them you wouldn't know they were there but there's just a couple of bits it probably just sounds like part of the thing so yeah and it was just a nice little yeah just a sort of a little yeah interlude kind of thing you know another one of the things and that just makes up yeah kind of kind of padding it out but i did want it to be on there because i thought i do like the sound so yeah for sure i mean I, I i do really think that one of the reasons this record works so well is because you've got these in interludes and sort of not moments of respite but the the short songs that sort of still continue the overall atmosphere of the record but they you know they're almost like scenes that are shot differently in the same film you know um so then we go on to rambo waltz yeah and this Uh, one's quite interesting because when we've talked about this in the past um did you build this track from some drums that you had sort of programmed in logic yeah yeah yeah. jim had to record them yeah exactly so i mean like yeah i mean it just I built like a weird logic, like very computer digital kit. Mm. I think like for the song, I think we were talking about it the other day. It's just sort of like almost didn't make the album, but it was one of the ones that we did later. But yeah. at the time, I guess I was like listening to a lot of jazz, you know, and like and like you know, <laughs> getting recommendations and opinions from yourself on jazz. And then it's just kind of like, I want to fucking, I mean, you know, I wouldn't call it a jazz song, but, you know, it's just how do you write? Uh, I think I was saying like about how do make say think are like jazzy, you know, but they're still like post rock or art rock or whatever you want to call it. So it's kind of like, can I write like, you know, like can I like compose some of uh, some phrases that sound jazzy, but like still 
fit in, I guess we like my taste and my DNA of fit in with the record. So just those two chords all the way through and some of the lead parts. And then I was just writing to the metronome. And then I, so I started to just like program this beat and logic, just fucking around and just adding. And, and I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So in the studio, when we were recording the parts, like we worked completely to that. And the, the, the aim was that um, one day when Jim was doing some drums, he would like just lay down the drums for it when I wasn't there. So, I mean, basically, the track ended up with like loads of overdubs and he was like, what are we doing with the song? And I was like, okay, just leave it with me. What I'll do is I'll probably take some of the parts away and just try and structure the intro a bit because it's a bit of a mess. And then he was like, yeah, I've done the drums. Yeah, let me send you the track over. So he sent it over. So I'm listening to it, you know, waiting for the drums to kick and, and it came in. I was just like, wow, it's just like, it's just like, just amazing, man. You know, like I, I like, it's, it's like not a million miles away from the program drums, but just hearing acoustic drum and his playing, like shuffling along. And I was just kind of like, wow, you know, this is, yeah, beautiful, man. I love it. And, you know, like, um, uh, and then uh, you, uh, yeah, so I said to you, you're going to do some sax. So got it over to you again. And again, just like, I took a few parts out and sort of we're looking at the project and I was like, okay, this is a good part. So I give you these time codes and say, these are the, these are kind of where there's the most breathing space if you want to go there, but sort of go wherever you want. And again, I remember just like getting the song back. You, you're pretty quick, man. You turn that around in like two days. And I remember it just kind of <laughs> playing it and just sitting there like, okay and man yeah just hearing it and just being like blown away and just being like wow you know this is just incredible and and um just like how like gratifying it is to just collaborate and like just send yeah. stuff off like and not know what you're gonna having an idea i mean you know like i mean i work to briefs all the time people tell me what they want you know for work and you know you so that's fine so but i think the brief to you was like um uh, uh, somber, somber yet tasteful. I think I've, so, so, like, I want to keep it like, yeah. you know, funny, but but like obviously like some truth in there. And yeah, and I, I think you certainly delivered. So, um, yeah, yeah. So what? So I think like once the sax and the drums on it, um, just kind of like that, that gave me like a whole sort of like um satisfaction and you know like desire to really push through and finish it and be like oh, you know it's just like really starting to take shape now there's quite a lot of different ideas i've now got drums and sax on on this record like and i think it fits and and i think it would be like a really good end to like side one of the cassette you know and um yeah and then just a bit bit more fine-tuning like the bass was one of the last things i did just at home i was like oh, i need to put the bass me just follows the, t the two notes and just like some arpeggios in there and again i just did like just did loads of layers and we went to the studio and i was like yeah that's a good chunk <laughs> let's like loop that a lot a lot of like cut, cut and pasting you know like which i'm all, I'm all right with that you know i don't i don't mind that and you seem to think that it sounds seamless so again, yeah it really does it really does sound seamless uh, mm -hmm. i think uh you know the the strength for that track is the fact that it's um whereas all the other songs on the record they they, you know, the, the atmosphere is sort of established straight away. It's almost like you sort of, you know, you dropped into yeah. Whereas this one sort of um, sort of flowers more organically, and yeah, like you know, the the guitars are sort of falling in on themselves. Yeah. Um, and Jim's drums are really nice and light. I mean, I was going to ask you how hard he found it to 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 play, you know over the top of yeah. electronic drums, but I guess he must have done it to a click or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, yeah, I think I, I still, still swinging it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I can't, I think with that, uh, the demo, I just, I just bounced the stems and we took them all in. So yeah, he would have been, and then I think we just matched it to the, 
to that. So yeah, I'm guessing he worked over. He actually did two versions. There was like one like less busy, which yeah. we, we we started to work in with that for quite a while actually. And I remember going back and being like, actually, let's go back to like the more hectic. And I was like, no, no, it's fine because we can let the guitars breathe a bit more. So and then I and then I ended up just redoing some some of that like chromatic noodling towards the end, like right after the first synth. That was again just done. Just yeah, just done done at home. I was kind of like, I think I can do some better parts. So I just find the notes. I mean, I don't really know what I'm doing, but uh, I think I, I think with, I was like listening to some black MIDI stuff and seeing some black MIDI live stuff. Right. And Geordie's like, he's a pretty serious guitarist, man. I I do hate him. And yeah, he does some like quite filthy, you know, jazz noodling or whatever. So I, like, <laughs> I do like a slower, more simpler version of that, and you know, kind of come in and out of time and in and out of like key, I guess. And but to my ear it kind of kind of fits but yeah i was just yeah interested in you know yeah collaborating with other people and maybe doing something a bit different and also i think this, that that track um you know people that you, you know maybe aren't um like don't have like similar taste to us you know maybe you know not as patient with like weird ambient training stuff or whatever they have that and they're like oh yeah i loved i love the watch you know yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like the pop ballad of the of the, of the thing so I played it. My, receives quite a lot of compliments about that track, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it seems like it's a good idea to put it on. But my girlfriend's um, parent, family were over from France, and they saw the cassette, and I, and I said, "Oh yes, yeah, so this is the album." They said, "Play it, play it, play it, play it." So I was like fast forwarding, you know, like who remembers fast forwarding to get to the walls? Yeah, so, uh, I really want to play this one. It's got some nice saxophone on it, and and she was like, "Oh yeah, great, great. It sounds. Uh, it's like this is very, it's very late night music." And I say. Yeah. <laughs> My job here is my work here is done. You know, like that's what you was built to put out <laughs> late night music, mate. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was good, good to hear that. But yeah, just that was just fun, man. You know, like fun to to write to have like a have like a very loose, you know, like well, like a yeah, a structure and a basis for the song and just fill in parts again and just add to it. And it's like one of the the proper proper songs on the record. And yeah, nice finish to to um to the first side, I think. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you, you know, because of the su success, um, for want of a better word, that you had with that track, you know, mm -hmm. um, do you see yourself sort of opening up um, the Duke of Zoo to, to more sort of collaborations? Is that maybe where you would go with the next record, getting more people involved? Yeah, totally, actually. Yeah, it's definitely something I've been thinking about. I mean, one thing I'd love to do, actually, and I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with, like, singers and vocalists anyway, but I'd mm -hmm. definitely like to explore, like, some more vocals and, or, you know, at least sound, like, voice sounds, and maybe I can just chop them up, you know, and add to them. But it'd have to be something, like, very dreamy and high anyway, yeah. as opposed to, like, you know, very clean vocal. So that's definitely an option. And you know that guy... Um, uh, knows that thing, do you know him? The, no, he's like he's like an electronic artist, LA guy. You, you oh, probably so, yeah. Jason something. Uh, can't remember what labels on now, but he, I mean, he's probably like taken a similar path in that you know he probably played guitar in the early days and liked Radiohead and then got into electronic music and made electronic music and then got you know he's all actually Kazu from Blonde Redheads uh, sings on a few of his songs now like I think wow, she's right. so far so really nice to just bring that in I mean obviously like I love her voice but anyway I digress his last record it came out last year really cool record but he's essentially got a guest vocalist on every track so mm. but it's, I mean it's electronic music which probably lends itself a bit more you know it's probably might be easier to to add to it but yeah he got he got Kazu on it and um 
uh, I mean, who um, uh, Panda Bear did a track and like Juliana Barwick, you know, as well. So that's very like ethereal and stuff. So maybe more something like like that. But yeah, definitely scope, I think, to to get some more people involved, you know, and it's, yeah, I, I like it. And I'll, I'll speak about um, uh, an album later, actually, when you asked about the, what I've been listening to that does yeah. that kind of postal service, you know, sending stuff off and collaborating like digitally you know um in different locations so yeah the answer is yeah i think like definitely you know definitely and i and i'd, and I'd love to to do a show where you know i'm not sure how possible it would be but to to do the to do the waltz live with with the drums and the sax like actually live and maybe get a bassist you know that could be something cool but yeah i don't know how that that works logistically but, you know that, man. yeah that could be cool. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, side B starts with, you're going to have to pronounce that. Echolalia. Echolalia. <laughs> yeah. And um, Ponzi kind of like, I think it means to just pl- like to repeat a phrase or something like that. I forget what the, I forget what the definition is, but I was looking for a name for it and, uh, mm. that, <laughs> that came up. Um, which yeah. is really nice, you know, there's some more swells, guitar swells in there, um, you know, uh, there's a real distinct field recording. Yeah. yeah, is, yeah. Where did you, where did you pick that up from? The, the field recording? Yeah. Yeah, that was added quite, that's just from like that, um, I think there's, there's like a, there's like a um, rights-free, well, I assume it's rights-free, like um, audio database or something, I can't remember what it's called, like, um, I don't know, like found sounds, I don't know, something like that. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just found it on that. I wanted to try and do it myself, but I tried to do it myself in a cafe, but it just didn't sound very good. And I think that. <laughs> so yeah, again, that was just something that was added like again later. I mean, I used to open the live set with that song and do like a very different version. Um, and when we when we were coming to record it, I was saying to Jim, okay, let's do this one. And I was playing it, and and I could see that he was. I was like, I oh, do you not like think it's good enough. And he was just like, well, I'm not sure about this. Like, I was like doing like tre- tremolo chords with loads of delay on it. And he's like, I'm not really sure about it. So he's like, this is where he did put on his producer hat and like actually make a suggestion and say, you know, let's like try something else. So I said, okay, well, I, these are the chords. And he's like, oh, yeah, they're quite nice. And he was like playing them, like playing them on, on, on there was a symphony studio. And then he was like playing them and holding them. I said, actually, yeah, with like a longer decay, it works better. So there's like super long delay and, and just like swelling them and letting them ring out. And he and he was like, yeah, for me, this is like much better. And it just becomes like a different song. So I was like, okay, so we'll just like fine tune it on the synth and just double layer them. And, um, and then like have the synth like take over the guitar at the end, like with the field. Wow. So, I mean, you know, like a very like probably like primitive recording trick or technique, but you know, for me, for me, it worked. It was kind of like, yeah, just do the main chords, and it's got this kind of eerie vibe, and then there's like that main picky riff, and then it's like a coin, coin, distorted coin. You know, gives you that like eh, crying guitar sort of thing. Just <laughs> finding, te- finding little textures to, you know, just fill the gaps, yeah. and then and then I'd found this, uh, I'd found, I'd found that um, that field recording. Like a, it's like, I think it's like a cafe in Italy or France or something. Yeah, so it sounds like, Italian. Yeah, so we'd like, just like drop that in and then be like, oh, you know, let's fuck around with it a bit. So we're using this um, uh, sound toys crystallizer. It's like those those sound toys plugins are like amazing. I'm not sure what it is. It's, it's like it's like it's like based on um like an Eventide rack mount harmonizer or something. Okay. It does like it does like really weird things. So we're just like kind of bringing that in and out on the end of it while the synth comes in and 
yeah and it's just you know it's something very simple but i was just loving it like yeah this sounds like great it just kind of elevates it or just you know again makes it a bit more interesting than just having the the standard so just just like these little things that live you don't really think about but when you just when you're just like sat with the songs for so long just like oh let's just try let's just try this let's try that and and again, yeah, that one that came together quite quickly once we'd locked those in. And there's very few elements to it. It's just like three guitars and the synth and the and the field recording. And um, yeah, I still like it. That was a that, I guess at first that was going to open the record. It was going to be the first track. But when they were when I had all ten, I kept kind of sw- swapping it with clouds. And I was kind of like, you know, I think maybe like the dreamier rever the dreamier reverse thing is like going to be a better like opener mm-hmm. and, then, and then like this and like maybe the first it may i think that sat better with the first side of songs but i think they worked really well as a good batch and i thought like this was a good opener for the second and there's like you know a bit more of the field recording and the synth and, and the big closer so yeah in the end i was like yeah you know let's just let's keep let's keep it where it is you kind of um you worked a bit on in terms of like the ordering of the tracks, you know, and you split, you, you, there was quite a lot of consideration with that then. Yeah, totally. Because I think after the first session, we hadn't even done 10 tracks. And then I had like a list of all these other things. And then I was like, actually that, that, whatever that is, is not like anywhere near finished and it's probably not going to work. So, um, but then I thought like dance alone, Zampano and the buzzard, they were always going to be a free, like, you know, because of like how it works, they are kind of the first thing. So they, they there's only really one place they can sit. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I think like, together as well. So they're sort of like, they're like a trio. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think like top and tailing them with the, with clouds on the jazz track, I think they work. And, and I feel like Echolalia and uh, the architect are probably maybe like similar in tone as well for that for that other side you know so i don't know like i think like ordering is like very important and also at the same time you can overthink it but yeah i did spend a lot of time just tweaking it but then also like um lengthwise it had to kind of balance out as well you know so adjust the things and extend a few bits just to make a few a few things a bit longer so it's not just seeing that there's not too much dead time on the on the cassette at the end of side one to match side two um so yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was that was that. <laughs> uh, so Zola is next, which I, I think in my write-up I described as um, being quite Michael Mann-esque, and I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, the scene at the end of Manhunter, you know, where they're gazing out into the that shot, doesn't he? Where the, you know it's all blue. Yeah. Manhunter, it's in heat as well, you know, a character gazing out to see <laughs> the ocean and, and everything's just completely blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but as this kind of like great, um, it's the sort of nice 80s modulation. Yeah. Um, some really nice um, uh, piano on there. Um, so w- this sounds like it was was built more in the studio. Is that the case? Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Like probably the most of all of them. So the 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 genesis of the song originally, and like, and this sounds ridiculous, but this is 100% true. Is that where we're we're in? Um, I was on a trip. I was in Madrid. Uh, actually, on the probably this bank holiday. So it's probably probably five years ago now. And I had my iPad with me and I had the electro harmonic synth from my iPad. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's quite cool. It's sort of like, it's good to mess around with like pad sort of sounds. So yeah, I just remember we were there one day and I was like hung over in bed on the second day and I was just messing around with the synth and I mean, it was like, keep playing, keep playing. And I was just like messing around with this like 
free free note melody i guess and then in the second so that just always kicked around and then i'd like lined in the ipad into um logic and just kind of sounded shit so i just done another version just with like a, a, a logic synth and it was always just called um like free free note synth jam free note synth song but then i'd sort of added the second melody i guess it is over the top of it so i was always kind of like thinking yeah this will go on the album because it's like a bit different i want to do you know i love i do love synths and you know i haven't really written that much for synth so and then anyway in the studio he had like a, i think it was a juno one which we were singing so i was like we've got to use it and he's like you got any ideas and i said yeah i got this one so we just laid it in just got it it's, i think it's like 4 4 120 bpm straight default tempo and just yeah just laid it down laid both things down and then just strung it out and he gave me a long bounce of it like and then i just said listen this is one that i'm gonna um spend some time with logic i've got some new plugins i've got like um uh, some of the felt instruments and the Spitfire audio. And I was like, I really want to kind of like write, like actually have a bit of something that was just completely written just for the album, you know? So a really old riff with new sounds. So it just spent a while with that one. And again, I just like bounced loads of stems and then we went in and then we were just sort of said, maybe it needs like a percussive element as well. So I think the drum sound is actually, I might be wrong, but I think we duped like one of the felt pianos and mixed it really low and just put some delay on it and it became like and it became like very passive sounding yeah but yeah I, yeah i kind of kind of can't remember exactly what we did or that's how it started and then maybe we just replicated it with just sounds you know just like yeah. just like a hit just like a rim a hit or whatever eq'd it down and just added a delay to it so yeah that so that was a case of just like yeah just really just writing a short song that just kind of went up come down and then that last bit at the end sort of like a badlamenti sort of style uh key key on it again but it's all just very you know it's all just like yeah very simple but um i think the thing with that is as well it's like you know like uh, people a lot of people always get asked like you know like how do you write like where do you write first and you know like m m a lot of people um uh people that are less like guitar driven i guess they're always like oh, i start on piano you know like i start on piano and then i you know then i take it elsewhere to a synth or whatever so i think like for me like just with something like that it's just a very simple melody you know or for riff or whatever you want to call it so and i don't really ever write on synth so um uh i've i've transposed what i play to guitar and like it's just really boring like and you i know you'd never write that riff you'd never write that on guitar because i was thinking like oh maybe maybe I'll, maybe i'll do it live like maybe i'll like how's it sound to guitar so i just find the notes and i'm like yeah it just sounds kind of like really shit so i think there's like something to be said for like uh the timbre of a synthesizer you know in the sense that like just holding and holding a note can just like i don't know like elicit so much like a more emotion you know and just sound just so much more fuller and so yeah so I, yeah i guess my point is like maybe in the future i might like look to to like write a bit more on you know in, in that way or at least like find a couple of chords or a progression or something that i like those that you know the way that revolves results and then move that to something involving keys you know because it just, that just sounds just sounds better yeah. <laughs> i want to play less guitar eventually as well you know yeah. get the guitar a bit more so um i mean i think i think bomber is is so important um and you know especially with acoustic instrumentation yeah. you know, things that will sound absolutely great on double bass but if you play yeah. it on, um you know just a normal electric bass just yeah. sound dross <laughs> you've got really have an understanding of of that um you know, mm -hmm. that's certainly become really really important to mm -hmm. um, my own work um mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I would just love to be able to work with more, you know, genuinely acoustic instrumentation, but you know, <clears throat> kind of limited to to what you know your pool of collaborators have. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's great that you you feel that way as well because you know, I've I've actually had great success um, in terms of because you know both of us guitars sort of our main instrument or yeah. started on bass, but I guess guitar is sort of the one that I'm probably the most proficient at. Yeah. I have always found great success in transposing, um, not synth lines, but certainly piano lines to yeah. guitar. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You sort of look, it just changes your yeah. approach to to the neck, if you know what I mean. And I yeah. found that really, ins- you know, to, to give really inspiring results. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think what, yeah, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head there, I think, with like, you know, we are like guitarists by trade and it is like what, where, where we're most proficient. So that's the thing for me. It's like, I'm not going to step away and make like just a synth record, but it's like finding that balance of like, you know, we've played guitar for so long and we committed to, committed to it. But it's just like, you know, now sort of creatively, like how much do you want to like incorporate that? You know, like how much you want to play, how much you want to process it. And like, you know, just being able to actually just take it back to something quite simple and clean at times so I'm sort of trying to yeah approach it that way now really because you know like I don't love I was thinking back to like you know when I was like 18 19 20 like what I wanted to do is play guitar all the time and now like you know like it's a bit of a chore at times you know especially if uh, I've always got one lying around and you know but I sort of play some classical like I'm not really writing like I I have to write with my board you know and like make notes and you know come and just like sort of build stuff a lot more slowly whereas I guess like if you're a pianist you know or a classical when you're right like you sit you sit down you write you know you're writing there's no there's no effects pedals there's no like detuning you know whatever it's just it's just there so yeah yeah, I think like I don't know I've sort of been you know not not trying to push the guitar as far as you can because like that's, that's that's not what I'm doing I'm not trying to get as good as I can but it's like certainly like trying to I don't know like maybe rediscover like a love for it like a little bit but also just be comfortable with it it's like this is my tool you know this is what it is and you know sometimes it is a blank canvas and other times it has got to be you know this is something else maybe a bit more a bit more traditional so yeah 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 totally I totally hear you man (laughs) Um, which actually which sort of nicely brings us back into um the the next track holy holy confetti yeah just back to basics guitar really isn't it the guitar it becomes the main voice of the record again yeah exactly and was it a similar approach that you used on on track two dance alone which was i guess it's I guess it's mirror image isn't it they're both sort of yeah. similar sonic territories yeah totally totally and like you know again the advent of the song is like live went live um when i used to, I, I always closed the set with like the architects to my song but again rather than just going straight into it i'd yeah. kind of just like pick around it's it was kind of the intro of it but i kind of trying to like ride it properly so i'd like play a couple of notes around this chord and then be like oh thanks thanks this is the last one not that anyone care and then play the song so live so on the record i was like yeah we'll try that so i was you know it's quite hard when you try to write something properly that's not written and then it just became something else i was kind of like oh these are the two chords and then i was doing it it was going to be like an acoustic song and then i started listening to like I was listening to a lot of group one day and then I was like, I'm going to try and make it this like really lo-fi like cassette with like a really faint acoustic. And it just kind of didn't really sound right. I was just trying to do it for the sake of it, you know, so I just went back to 
to doing it and I was like okay these are the two chords this is how it sounds and then I was like um trying to make it like a can I think a, a canon I guess it is a canon you know like London's burning so you play the one phrase and then when you move on to the next phrase the second guitar plays it again so it's always like one well I guess guess like six bars behind but it's playing the same so it copies it mirrors what it plays like you say and then yeah then the second part was just completely written I was just like you know what I'm going to try and just do some nice guitar and then I had the chords again a couple of them uh, uh, feature in the last song I was like okay that works and then I was just like you know what I'm gonna sort of play a lead like a lead part almost, almost again like sort of I guess I was thinking like like a sort of a dream pop like guitar man like you know like the cure or or how like bands like dive and beat fossils like kind of you know show their influences from those bands it's that kind of clean you know like reverby and then again just like just sort of was jamming along finding the sort of scale the mode or whatever it was and then mixing it up and I was like that sounds pretty good and did that one didn't do that one in the studio did the did the main guitars the picky ones in the main one but the lead part did in my in my own studio <clears throat> and just like nailed it second take and played it and was like yeah that's pretty good took it to gym he was like i don't really know what he thought of it but he was like yeah it's cool um i remember playing it to my girlfriend and you know she she's like quite honest and she'd only heard bits of bits of the album and i remember playing it to her because i was thinking oh, you know this is like nice guitar sound and she goes yeah, pretty good. Mm, bit soft. Like I, I wouldn't put it on the album. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So that kind of maybe deep down it made me think like I'm definitely gonna put it on the album. But yeah, I mean it's kind of a filler and it's like you know something a bit different. But I think it fits within you know the the larger canvas of the record. So that's so that's that's why it's there, man. Yeah, definitely. And you know it's it's a nice as I said it's a nice mirror image of, of um, the second track. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you're returning to that sort of sonic realm. Yeah. You know, going back to basics with the guitar. Yeah. I mean, it's there's enough in there that's that's different and interesting for for you to warrant going back there, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, and you know, now, now it's written properly, I'll probably try something with it live the next next time we do it. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we've got two tracks left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is um, early early morning, which is <laughs> I'm putting <laughs> my notes. Scorched drones. Yeah, I think the guy in the quietest thought it was guitar as well. Um, <clears throat> so I mean, basically, again, um, this is this just came about by accident and I was just fucking around like I said I was trying to find those sounds for Zola and there was this there was one of these sounds I can't remember what it was but it sort of reminded me of um like Mellotron strings you know it was like but like a bit otherworldly and I was I was playing the Zola chords when I was messing around with it I just like locked into this thing and I was like oh this just like sounds really weird and you know this thing of like just following the motifs of other songs and, and and various songs having the same chords so throughout the whole album there was this kind of key I guess or you know sound so I was just messing around with it and I was just like hit record and just kept kept doing it and sort of playing the chords and and was just like oh this is pretty cool you know like maybe this this could have a field recording on it as well and I'd actually been shooting um, a science video at the Open University for a science course and I I worked with a sound man in Milton Keynes called 
uh, Rupert. He's like a yeah. he's like a bit of an older guy. He's a friend friend of an old cameraman guy. I know. So he can he comes down and does sound with me. But we we shot all the interviews outside, like on like beautiful spring day. So I just said to him, oh, can you like let's just get some Atmos for just so I can mix under the thing to cover the gaps and stuff. So <laughs> then so like a few days later, he just said, hey, I sent you sent you the audio, and he just sent me this WAV called Early Morning. And it was just, it was just birds. Nice. And 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 I, I just like dropped it in and it just fit perfectly. I mean, the guy in the choir said, oh, it's a bit too on the nose. Like, and it's meant to be, you know, like, it's, yeah, sure. it's, it's right. I mean, it's not like, it's, there's no profound, you know, concept behind it. And it, for me, it just fit perfectly. And it's just kind of like this. Um, yeah, like little pause before the before the before the big closing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you listen carefully, the chords it is essentially the same chords as Zola, played like a bit slower, maybe in a different order, but maybe the instrument is like the maybe that plugin has detuned it or something slightly. Yeah. So it's just yeah, man, two elements, and you know, it's not particularly creative, but I just really like the sound of it. And you know, I've spoken about this kind of collage element of the album, you know, and like having you know, short piano bits and, you know, like short drone pieces and longer songs. And yeah, and it's just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's partly there to pad the album out. But, you know, I had, I had enough confidence and I liked it enough to, to keep it on there. And, you know, what better place than penultimate track on the record, you know? <laughs> so you yeah, can yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a nice little, <laughs> you know, many on the record, but it's just another nice little mood piece. And you know what I mean? Um, I think <clears throat> with a record like this, you... You can you can be on the nose and you can be a bit kitsch. I I kind of love that. I think things that sort of uh, are honest in their intentions about what they want to evoke. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. think great, especially um, now when we're sort of in a climate of music making where uh, everything seems to sort of have to have to be gesturing at something much bigger than what it is. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <clears throat> totally. all, all sorts of different um you know highfalutin ideas when you know if the track just is just you know a field recording of some birds yeah and, you know some nice simps do you know what i mean yeah yeah that's all yeah. you need yeah exactly exactly no one's gonna say this is not <laughs> well made my girlfriend but this is gonna say like oh I, I wouldn't put that on me it's not a good idea and this it's gonna make you <laughs> probably want to include it more but um yeah She's just a nice little piece, you know, and I feel like if you listen to the whole thing and that comes on in the background, it's it's like it's all right, you know, it's all right. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> on Sunday morning tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need more of them. Yeah. <laughs> so we're on to the final track, which is the architect's demise, which is yeah. like, you know, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah just to just to just in case you thought the previous song was too minimal it's like okay they're gonna i'm gonna layer like eight tremolo guitars you know just to just, yeah just to begin with so um, you kind of you, you kind of throw a lot at this track and i'm guessing this is sort of a staple this, this is a bit of a staple of your life set yeah exactly exactly um it's probably gonna have to be dropped soon i think because yeah it's been kicking around for a while I think like, yeah, again, a bit like Zampano, it's probably written to like, just to be quite loud live. So, you know, played on that European tour in like the warehouses and the squats and stuff. And um, yeah, I think like just the approach of it is, um, I did something similar on the first EP, but I mean, I wouldn't say it's like classically inspired, but it's just that idea of like building a chord 
through notes. So, I mean, it's all, I guess it's like essentially like an E, E major scale, I guess. It's got like whatever they are, E, G, it's got E, G sharp, B, and then E flat, though you can't mix flats and sharps. Um, so yeah, yeah. So just building this chord, building this kind of chord. So each, with each, with each, with each note that's added, you kind of, it, I, I try to make it take you like to a different place. So you start with an E, so then you can go anywhere, you know, you can go minor or major from that, from that low open E. And I think I go down half a step. You're like, okay, that's a bit weird. And then to the G, G sharp, and then that brings it. And anyway, you build this chord and then that all loops and you're kind of like, well, okay, okay, okay. So yeah, just, I guess maybe some in some respects how like an orchestra might work with it, with each individual player you know like playing yeah. something to combine it so and you know even like similar to the guitar orchestra what you know some of our friends have done and you know some of uh, their heroes have done so that that same kind of thing really and because i'm a one-man band essentially with a loop pedal it's just a good way of like building a wall of noise live and yeah. then yeah so that so that plays and then um and then um and then i actually bring in a distorted pre-recorded version of all those guitars again, like through, but all distorted. So, so they all come in as well with like just as a separate sound, just to just to kind of emphasize it even more, in case you didn't get it the first time. <laughs> yeah. But then that allow, then that allows me to kind of noodle over with the other distorted guitar and and just and just like play within within you know kind of like that mode or you know that, that those notes you know, and then bring in that higher bit. And then and then um, it's kind of like two songs in one. And it's like that first half and then that fades. And then I bring in that kind of free chordy thing, which is a bit post rock. You know, it's kind of probably where I was where we kind of, you know, sort of direction. I was going a bit more at the time. But, um, you know, I still like it. I still like the chords and, you know, like laying tremolo guitars, you know, over just, you know, it's, it is very is very like post-rock you know it sounds like explosions of godspeed or whatever but i think like it's still still like enough there with the intro and then to um you know bring in like that it's like a muted guitar like glissando with like a slide and stuff to, to, to make quite like abrasive and then bringing in these wedding bells kind of a bit of a joke and like a nod to the to, 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 to right, the yeah and also something that I did live as well, actually. I just like found this wedding bell sample and just bring it in like really loud live at the end though for everything. And you know, people kind of thought it was funny. And then um actually right at the end of that of that album, right at the end of that song, there is like a live recording from this gig that I played, the one right before lockdown, like but my friend Bob Bills like recorded the gig. So I actually like merged a bit of the live recording just into that last bit and have the oh, crack. Nice, nice. <laughs> I was gonna ask you about that. What where was the show? Ha uh, Hackney, a place called the Glove that fits, and it's, it's like a, it's just like kind of like a basement, like a really dingy, smoked-out basement. But yeah, yeah and like like all my shows, like a friend of mine who's got more talent sets up a cube or gets one and says, <laughs> like, but it was literally like right, it was literally like I think it was about four days before lockdown. So like you know, going way back, COVID was just happening. You know, we just we were, just, we're hearing about COVID. We didn't kind of know the severity of it, but like people started to prang and people wouldn't come. People would be like, I'm "Really sorry, man," but like we're getting a bit worried about it. And I was starting to get worried. And I was like trying to get a mask on eBay because I was like, <laughs> so I was going to like play in a mask like, it was, like before they were mandatory, but you couldn't get one because everyone had like kind of fear fear purchased them or. Um, so yeah, we just played 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 that gig, and yeah, he just recorded on Zoom recorder. So got like it's pretty quite good quality. I think I put I did like a really short mix of three songs and put them onto SoundCloud. So um, I was just I was actually just listening back to the song to check the structure for the recording and where it went. Yeah, I was like actually that sounds pretty good. I put some reverb on it, and then I was like, you know, it's quite a cool way to 
end the album. Although it was, I think Nils Fram did it on um, that track. I think it's just called Says. Do you know why it's like this synth track? But I think he did something similar, which I heard on a um, um, on a on a on a mix that um, that somebody did, like a compilation that some somebody made. Um, so yeah, yeah, so that was it. Again, just like having a bit of fun during the mixing, you know, like and adding the stuff and adding the wedding bells and just trying to make sure that you could hear everything and just working out like when the first bit fades and the the second second guitar comes in and just adding those like tremolo parts and stuff. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, it was I mean, it's like, to end the record because like you know, um, a lot of people who are listening probably won't be familiar as familiar with your music but you know you are sort of resolutely live act do you know what i mean and i've always seen the juke as being you know you know at its core you know you are a gigging project do you know what i mean and i think it you know to end the record with that kind of makes underlines that sort of statement of purpose with this project yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, maybe it was subconsciously or not. But as I said, I, I, I didn't mention it earlier, actually, but I was like the whole the whole I think the whole thing of this of the Duke is, is that um, <clears throat> I write to perform live, like predominantly. Like, I mean, obviously you write a song, you think eventually you're probably going to record it at some point. But, you know, most of my I write in my room, I jam, I come up with an idea, I get off at a gig, I say, OK, what what what's ready? You know, and then what order is that going to work best in? And then I jam, 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 rehearse, rehearse, rehearse to play the gig. So then, so then to go back and then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to do a record. How, how is that different to, to playing live? You know, do you do it exactly the same? Does it work? Like probably doesn't, you probably need to put a bit more structure in it. Whereas like traditionally most bands, I guess, well, you, I mean, you start a band to play live. You start a band because you want to play a gig. You, you, you get better as a band and then it's like, okay, we need to do a record. And then you write a record and record it and then you take it on the road. Like, you know, traditionally. Yeah. I mean, not exclusively, but so we have, whereas for me, it always kind of felt the opposite. I was like, you know, there's no point in me really like making loads of records because, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't actually enjoy the physical act of recording. I don't enjoy the repetition, you know, so thankfully I can, a lot of the songs, I can just do the, lay the loop down, get it perfect. And we can just run it for like six minutes and I can just fill in the gaps like and have the fun there. But yeah, I don't. I don't really, yeah, I don't enjoy like sitting down and record. Like I like making noises and like pressing record and capturing it or recording on my phone, but I don't have this desire to like sit down and write and record every day, which is probably why I'm not a very <laughs> prolific artist, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like, yeah, that's one thing is, and yeah, is the overall objective is really to capture um, and build on and and hopefully elevate uh, the live experience, like on a record, about <laughs> something yeah. like absolute cock. But that, yeah, that is uh, that's at the heart of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, just as you were saying, you know, the the Duke of Zook is primarily a a live project. You know, mm -hmm. built around uh, live performance, and you know, a lot of people who are listening probably won't have. Um, a knowledge of your activities as a musician as much as I would. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to just go through a brief discussion of your, your musical history. Um, now, I remember your first band with my old brother called the Akari Warriors. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> this, is a proper, this is a proper... Stuff. 
This is a proper, this is, this is your life with uh, David. <laughs> uh, but your, your brother did a podcast with that guy <laughs> up north recently. Uh, well, it was probably a, a, a while back. But yeah, it was really interesting to hear that and like, you know, brought back like a lot of fond memories, you know, and to get nostalgic talking about the, the old days. But um, <clears throat> um, how old were you? So, I mean, yeah, I was, I was thinking back to the date. So I, we, we played our first, I think we played our first show in September 2001, like, because I just started college. So we played a few months around then. So I would have been 19, almost, about to turn 20 in December. So, I mean, prior to that, your brother and I went went to school together, obviously, um, <clears throat> 94, we left in 98. So like summer 98. By that point, we already had our youth club covers band. Your brother wasn't playing guitar at the time. I was playing guitar, so we were doing a covers band, me, him, T-Boy, Richard Harvey, and even a bit of Smithers. So, you know, at the youth club, we'd go to Doe and Drive. It's actually, I mean, you know, in hindsight, like, just an incredible, like, resource, you know, to have that access to go there with that guy, Blaine. We used to rip him a bit for being a hippie, but, you know, we all kind of sort of become that. But, yeah, just to be able to go there and, like, you know, play drums and bass and guitar. and yeah. Great. So yeah, we so we played there a few times. We didn't really. We, we were. We, I was trying to call us Lady Bomb at the time. Yeah, yeah. Very very immature, stupid, <laughs> pointless name. So yeah, we so we did we did we did the cover shows. Um, what did you play? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you must. Yeah, you must have been. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you know, the, like Nirvana, Green Day, Ash. Um, we did we did twenty we did twentieth century boy because we loved placebo and and they'd, they'd covered yeah. it. Uh, Lem, we did Lemonheads, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, then we did two we did two or three Nirvana songs. Um, yeah, I mean you know great fun like you know good the only way you can really learn your craft when you're younger right and, and then you have to start doing your own. We yeah but the the funny thing was that we. T Boy was in the band as well, and he was playing bass, but he was obviously like a much better guitarist than me. He's like mm -hmm. a bit of a muso. So when we did, um, I basically had to go on bass for a couple of songs because I couldn't. <laughs> we did, used to do Ash Girl from Mars, and I couldn't play the solo. So I had to, had to go on bass for that one. So T Boy could play the solo. <laughs> like T Boy pull out the moves. <laughs> yeah, the pentatonic Tim yeah. Weaver Girl from Mars solo. Um, yeah, then I guess from there, you know, we just started to jam like Lewis, obviously Lewis and those guys were in Carpet Monster and Cliff. So your brother and I were like kind of looking. We basically had to poach Southie and Webb to to form the rest of our band because we didn't know any we didn't know any drummers or bassists. So yeah, we still just going to sing. It started playing guitar, and you know the aim was that eventually we start playing guitar. So yeah, we just, just we just started jamming in Southie's garage. I guess probably. It's a bit of a hazy period, but yeah, I mean, we we like rehearsed quite hard for a, for for a, for a while. Me, me and I'd I'd like write me and Webb would write and jam, record on four track cassette, and then take the songs to practice. You know, like very like yeah, just traditional approach to to, to band writing. <clears throat> um, and then you know we we started to go to ATP. I guess we went to the first ATP, which I guess was probably March two thousand or maybe maybe the year before i'm not yeah i can't recall the exact date but going there was like you know a big big experience for us like seeing all those bands as i'm sure sure it was for yourself yeah. and that kind of coupled with um uh, uh chatting with paul rivers who run the pits and and him like you know he'd given lewis's previous band shows but we were like akari's ready and he was like cool 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 and then i remember him saying um to watch uh fugazi instrument he was a big fugazi fan and he was like yeah getting into the watch that so you know we we made a night of like getting a dvd and watching that at southies and just being i mean i was never i was kind of never 
I mean, I, lo- I do love that band. I love their musicianship. But I, I was kind of like never really considered myself like quite hardcore DIY and punk. I was never really into that kind of ethos personally as much as as much as your brother. So, but you know, it worked, man. I mean, you know, it was all there. You know, like start a band with your friends, like so, and it's still about just writing and playing. So. So yeah, so we played those gigs. I remember we played we played at Bar Central and the pits, like I think in the same in the in, probably in like a couple of weeks, and it was good. So it was this whole thing of like, you know, being from Milton Keynes and it just being full of, you know, like a lot of shit metal bands, really. You know, bands that do, did did nothing for us and we didn't like, and we were kind of like the outcast. You know, not us personally, like all of our bands. You know, the outcast, the, the the more the more alternative guys that didn't give a fuck about this stuff and like would go up on stage like and you know troll and cause a bit of trouble and be a bit weird and smash up guitars and be like yeah all your all your, all your guys bands are shit you know like <laughs> yeah I mean we were definitely you know that that crowd that um you know my older brother and you sort of spearheaded we were definitely um sort of out on our own um <laughs> and looking back on it we're probably really obnoxious about being different to everyone else that were was 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 operating in the scene at that time um so it's like probably no wonder why we got a bit of shit and there was yeah. some practice you know <laughs> yeah. some fighting some genuine fighting and stuff like that i guess when you're that young it kind of um kind of reinforces like the path that you're on if you come up against sort of animosity so i look back on all of that period personally anyway as being like you know a wonderful thing and um you know uh the fact that you maybe had people who were detractors and and weren't into your music kind of strengthened your resolve to to be doing it in the first place so yeah. Yeah, um i think you know that's obviously that was obviously your first band i think the one that made uh the most impression on 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 me apart from duke of Zuko, obviously is um terror agents slash Mm-hmm. scalp and skull which is sort of like it was the, it's kind of like that during the heyday of sort of odd time signature bands yeah, yeah. Half rock, yeah exactly yeah that kind of thing yeah well i think like because i met like with akari there was always like akari uh lo amy which is our good friends and they, they were like even more far out than us like very forward yeah. thinking i mean obvious who their influences were, but they were confident enough to do it. And they really didn't give a fuck, you know, like we, we wanted people to like us, you know, we wanted to yeah. put on a show and be like, look, we're heavy, you know, we like, we, 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 we've got some good songs. So anyway, them and then an ECAD who were kind of, you know, we were sort of the three slightly weirder bands and of the same age group, but yeah, Hoyle was obviously drumming for Low Amy and, and like, we became good friends with them, Gary and uh, yeah, just like started to discuss side projects. So I was like even jamming with him, yeah, I forget whether the band had split, but yeah, basically I kind of got kicked out of the of Akari because those guys wanted to just go a bit more like full on shellac. And at this point, <laughs> it was like musical differences. You know, we're going to like end up jeopardizing the friendships. You know, if we try and force it, so yeah, it was probably easier for me to just uh, you know go off <laughs> and leave those guys uh, to it. And then Selfie, uh, yeah, left shortly after as well. So. Um, yeah, and yeah, like you say, man, just discovering those bands, you know, partly from ATP, but it's just like, you know, the first time I like heard Hella and or saw Hella and Cheval de Free as well. Yeah, I was gonna the, say, Cheval de Free. That just that, that that guy's playing and just yeah, and just hearing it and being like, one, this is two guys, like you don't need a full band. And just like, what are these times that we like? What are you know, like it is good to be weird, like you know, you can just like there's kind of like no limitations, you know, you sort of just do whatever you want. And it kind of felt like a bit more of like a 
free jazz thing as well, like a sort of jazz noise. Yeah. And then Lightning Bolt as well. So yeah, me and Hoyle were kind of into these bands and we're like, yeah, let's do our own own thing. And 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 he was like, you know, like a brilliant drummer, you know, like really downplayed it, could have and effortlessly and was like very good with time signatures and and like had just had a lot of ideas. So we could just rock up play a few things and he would be like what about this and he would like play a riff and we would like count the things and then just like do all this kind of weird stuff and you know to be honest like i found found found, found it quite hard to sort of keep in time with with a lot of it um but yeah the, the, the yeah the, the idea was to just thrash out these like super short loud weird songs man and just blast them out and just play like play like 14 minute sets also, but then we did have really long, he would just say, let, then let's just play this one riff for like seven minutes, you know, and I'll just be playing like two or three notes, and he would just be coming like in and out of time, you know, and, and like people, people were loving, and you know, he's like, he's like quite well, he's like quite well to do and formally just be sitting there like dressed quite smart, you know, playing this like really like weird drumming, and yeah, it was just like good fun, man, it was just, it was quite refreshing after like, you know, having to take songs or write songs for four of us and then like arguing with a drummer about not staying in time or not not liking like the second guitar part to just being yeah. like oh you know it's just me just me and Hoyle like nothing's off limits you know the weirder the better yeah. so yeah so 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 from going from writing full songs to just being like one weird chord you know like a two note chord just going and just being like oh this is cool you know like Arab and Radar you know something like that more yeah. like tone than actually having to write a song just just like muting strings you know just playing a harmonic and then and it was like yeah this is cool man it's like it's weird people seem into it so I mean yeah you know these this is like incredible time in my life man like probably like the most fun I've had like making music you know so the band was definitely um as you know as sort of like as much about ideas like sonically was 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 really about textures and uh and timbre i guess but yeah, yeah. yeah definitely those sort of a lot of spiky textures a lot of like um sort of almost extended techniques on the guitar um yeah sam hoyle's drumming was obviously incredible um yeah uh, did you guys ever record no i was actually just about to say the only recording we ever done was hoyle then actually ended up drumming for riot men on some tours right and then <clears throat> they were rehearsing um somewhere weird in bletchley like by the blue lagoon i don't even know what that place was but i remember coming down and you could um maybe gigsy moved there temporarily or something but yeah. they, they had the facility they had like a room mic where you could just record a session straight onto a cd or something so they would record their session they would record their rehearsals so you could learn the songs yeah. and then they were like yeah you, you know you come down at the end and you guys can just do it so we just literally went in rattled out like the 15 minute set and then we just had it on a cd <laughs> i recorded with one mic like and it sounded okay but yeah you know there was there was definitely like no um you know the plan or desire for us to like do a record it was just very much like of the time you know just like we're just doing it again we're, we're writing for sure we, we used to practice every week at his parents house when he when he wasn't at uni or maybe he just finished but yeah again it was always <clears throat> play at the pits play play at the leisure something you know so we would just get together where are we at with the songs let's write let's do a couple of new bits and just get up and play these uh 
play these songs. But yeah, I remember playing at the pits when they did one of the Fortissimo. And it's like big stage. And it's quite a big crowd. And I remember just like a two piece. And, you know, I didn't like love rocking out, but having this whole massive stage, of just, just me like in a karate top and Hoyle just sitting there and just being like, fuck. But that that was recorded. And yeah, actually all, all the sets ended up being recorded. And Hoyle used to record all of the practices just on his mini display, like use the headphones as a mic on a mini display. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. So I've got all these cassettes of like, I've actually kind of got everything that we ever did, you know, and I think like three of the gigs as well. And I think Gary's got some videos. So it's more, it's probably the most documented like musical thing I ever did. And it only really lasted like probably, probably like a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Any plans to put it out? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back through it and see what the quality's like. But yeah. yeah you should, man. You should, because it was, it was a really interesting project. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that you were uh, you were saying was uh, that you sort of touched on was the the, the ability to gig mm. in a small town like Milton Keynes. Yeah. Um. You know, we were really really lucky actually because we had a lot of outlets for for our music. You know, and although we were into sort of quite challenging music and um, maybe that wasn't the general consensus in the rest of the scene that was operating at the time. <laughs> We had a lot of avenues to, um, to 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 go out and play, you know, with, you know, obviously my older brother was putting on a lot of shows. Uh, Alan Harrison, who was doing Mad Cow Patty, um, yeah. you know, brought some absolutely incredible music to the city. Yeah. Um, even, you know, Paul Rivers, who had a sort of mandate to, to make sure mm. that the, the pits, which was in the, the Woofton Centre, Leisure Centre, mm you know, that he was selling tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he would regularly um, put on challenging music and he would, and um, and was all about sort of ushering in the sort of next generation of talent that was inherent in the city. And, you know, did a lot of outreach work to to, to get young musicians on a, on a, on a pro stage, sure. you know, with proper lighting, proper uh, sound for a proper PA, and um, you know we were really really lucky actually and um you know just 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 a good um you know just a really really good time to sort of come up in music really we yeah were really lucky yeah definitely like yeah i'm eternally grateful to like yeah anyone that gave us shows and yeah rivers was great yeah like you said to play on the to play on those stages and it was always pretty busy and he was like, yeah you know, always like getting us involved in battle of the bands which <laughs> it's very 80s and we kind of never really go down that well but you know it was good to we, you know we were up for the challenge you know as well to not not to win it but you know like the challenge is just yeah like, let's just let's just go out and you know we were we were young and you know like well yeah yeah we were young i guess we were like 20 19 and like just have confidence you think very differently back then you know that you don't know you don't know a lot and there's kind of no real consequence you know and you know there's nothing to lose you got nothing to lose you know or to yeah. prove to so. yeah yeah but yeah yeah it's great. always really well attended do you know what i mean in you know at the at bletchley leisure center don shows and at, um alan harrison shows you know there was a contingent of us that would always go go to them regardless of what was on we were going to be there yeah. and um you know at the, at the pits you know there was a you know all the teenagers that were into alternative music as it was termed uh during those years yeah would be there, regardless of what was on um, yeah uh, so I mean, certainly not like that. Certainly not like that in Manchester. Yeah. I guess it's the same in London. Do you know what I mean? It's it's hard to get a crowd. 
Yeah, exactly. I guess Especially if you're if developing, you know. Mm-mm. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to get a gig now. Like you know, I've yep. spoken to people, and yeah, like I say, most of the gigs I've played have just been friend, a friend playing, and they've had a support slot and been like, "Come and play." It's been yep. great. But yeah, now and now I'm actively trying to get one just to while the record's fresh and to do some of it that hasn't been done live. And yeah, I can't, I can't get. A I mean, yep. granted, I was offered two, and I've missed them both because I was away. But yeah, it's, it's proven quite difficult, and you know, you can't really hassle people and keep writing to fielding at Otto being like hey man I've played it before like give me give me a show my record's great so uh whereas back in the day it's like there was a gig every week you know so you could play as much as you wanted and and you know like um you know collaborating and improvising was like always very encouraging well as well and it's good to dip in with like other crowds and do stuff you know so that, yeah it's yeah great man definitely yeah pr- productive years I think so yeah I guess the only downside of it for me is like not many records came out of it you know like we were all I think that was always the issue whereas all these other bands like as much as we didn't like them like they all definitely made the effort to record properly whereas like yeah. you, know, you guys did a record uh Dawn Chorus yeah they did records and stuff but considering I don't know maybe there's not maybe yeah maybe maybe there should have been some more records or releases you know that, that, that's kind of what I thought but it doesn't really matter but may, maybe there should have been <laughs> yeah I know for sure man I mean um our scene at that time was was uh dramatically undocumented and yeah. You know, I think it speaks more to the the sort of times that we were coming up in, in that, yeah. um, you know, it, it was quite difficult to get just some recording gear together. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have laptops which had the ability to create music on. Or if yeah. we did, you know, they were so vastly <laughs> out of yeah. financial mm-hmm. capabilities to get one. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess the other thing is, which is a good thing, is, you know, we took it for granted because we were always gigging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we were always gigging. One of us would be playing a show at least twice a month. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something on. Yeah, um, yeah. Three times a month for us to play mm-hmm. regularly. So, mm-hmm. kind of, you're in that mode where you're sort of preparing for the live shows rather than thinking about the bigger picture, which is documenting your work. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is a shame in hindsight, but yeah. Know, but we got them maybe it's about the memories because now also like everything's documented you know like whether that's yeah. on a phone or whatever and it is easier to 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 record and distribute you know so um maybe yeah what was done is more precious you know, and yeah more than just yeah. everything but um yeah 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 good good times good times yeah so in terms of like you know you've you've wh- where have you sort of played in the country i guess mostly london right uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only played in, I've played in Milton Keynes, London. Um, I've played in Southampton. I went to Southampton quite often, uh, very soon after uni. I went back down and played there. Mm-hmm. I've played in Brighton. Um, and I mean, I must have played in Manchester, but maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe I haven't. Um, a new show beckons, don't worry. But yeah, I played in Northampton. I've actually played in Luton as well. Yes. Is, I can't remember what but I played a pub in Luton. Yeah, Harley. But yeah, not not many places. You know, I've probably played more cities in Europe than. Yeah, than, exactly. And I haven't played in Europe for like probably nine years. So weird. Yeah. And um, probably won't now. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. I was going to talk about that because um, you know you, you have. You have toured Europe. Um, so the last time you toured there was was it? Um, it was on an action beat tour, right? 
Yeah, get, when the guitar when the guitar got lost, <laughs> was it was it that one? When you lost my very precious guitar. Yeah, we got it back, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Again, <clears throat> that was just yeah. Um, your brother again, just you know, helping helping everybody out and just saying that we can that I could go on tour with them on that European tour and yeah, was, you know, get the van, get the van from Milton Keynes. I think we drove down and we played at um. What's that venue 113 Dalston Lane or something like that? I can't remember what it was. Yeah. So we played, we played, I remember we played there. I played, then actually we played, then we drove to France. And then I think, yeah, I did, I must have done seven or eight days, and then you kind of tag teamed me out and I flew back. Yeah. Uh, and you did the you did the second half. But um yeah, I mean they were like really cool. Um yeah, from what I meant, there was like everything from like um like a really nice small show in Belgium with like this incredible spread and everyone sat on the floor to then like a really big show in Belgium the next night with like a massive stage, like, and, and like nobody there. And then um, a squatting cane with Pascal, you know, like we were like, it's like something like a Mad Max with following this, following this motorbike. And there's all these like kids outside on motorbike. And we're a bit like, this is cool. Going into like a massive abandoned warehouse with like generators and just like playing there. And it's like, yeah. Crazy. And then the yeah the final show <clears throat> was in that old library squat in Frankfurt, and they just cooked up all this like incredible um, Japanese food. And we sushi, played, right? Trays yeah, of sushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like loads of free drinks, and it was like really well attended, and yeah. like, I was just smoking inside. And yeah, I mean, I remember this the set going down like pretty well. It's probably like one of the heavier sets, and yeah, and and like yeah, again, you know, just like eternally grateful, and you know, just yeah very appreciative to be able to go and do those to do those shows you know it's like yeah yeah i mean absolutely incredible i mean it's just such a shame that that is something that we can easily do you know um but in terms of like in terms of touring how did you find that in from the perspective of you know were you were you thinking show from show what what things to tweak what things to take out what to adjust? Um, I'm, nah, I mean, to be honest, not really. Probably just like had had like the three or four core songs that are always going to be played. And then there was a few that I practiced and was like, oh, I might play them. So I remember like actually at that Belgium show and it was quite mellow. And then just randomly like playing a really early song, just like out of nowhere and I hadn't played it for ages and just doing that and, and that being pretty cool. But ultimately like this, keeping the sets quite short you know and just sort of doing like the free bit the free big songs mm-hmm. uh, always closing with the noisy one and and just like yeah seeing how much kind of quiet stuff you could get away with in between you know depending depending on the crowd but when you're in like a big squat outside even if everyone's quiet it's not quiet you know because there's like generators going and dogs, dogs running around yeah dogs running. <laughs> <laughs> motorbikes outside yeah. so you know if, if like five people stand in front of you like and they're into it like that's kind of an achievement <laughs> to me yeah yeah. But, uh, yeah just 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 getting through it man and you know just like getting through the day man like again like i don't i'm you know i'm a, I'm a man of creature comforts you know like i don't enjoy sleeping rough i mean i know those guys did younger but it's just like you know i want a bed and a shower man <laughs> I, <don't care. laughs> like, I just had you just end up having enough of people at one point being like like i'm done you know i don't want to spend another like 12 hours talking and then sleeping on someone's fucking floor man like it's not it's not it's yeah not, it can be brutal man <laughs> Freud can be brutal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at that point, those guys were touring all the time, you know, like they were all teachers. So it's kind of like 
you know, part of the highlight of their year, you know, the Easter and summer tours, like going on tour in the van, just smoking, drinking all the time. Whereas like, you know, I was, I was, I was like a bit more into like, you know, maybe I'd rather go on a nice holiday. (laughs) 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 Maybe I don't, I don't want to drive for 10 hours. And I I didn't, I didn't, I'd already stopped smoking weed at this point as well. So those guys are just bunning all day. And it's just like, man, you know, it's just, it's too much. It's just too much. I, I, I just wouldn't even be able to play. I wouldn't even have the energy to play and actually set off for like smoking weed all day. And I mean, you know, you get you get passively stoned anyway just from the amount of smoking. Of that. <laughs> but just the arguments as well, and it just becomes knacker. It's just like I'm too too old too old for this shit already. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's quite easy to to think back on touring in this sort of misty-eyed fashion, but <laughs> you know, parts of it that are just grueling you know but i mean that's part of part of the ritual of going on tour as well is that you overcome these circumstances right sure yes you know it's an endurance test and a hustle but you know the 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 pro the pros are like you know rocking up to different towns and like you know you meet great you meet really interesting people and play with cool bands and stuff and you know and if somebody's like actually a fan or you know they know a bit of the music or they like the release and they're really excited for you to play like you know it's great man you don't you kind of don't really get that in the uk i know it's like notorious that you're you know the european shows and the promoters are a lot more art funded and like artist orientated so you feel a bit more like appreciated you know i know they say like you know like london's a tough crowd you know and you know whatever and people are a bit more kind of stuck up whereas in europe they feel like there's a bit you know a bit less pomposity you know and they just are there for the music you know and obviously like action beat just like making a racket and it's a spectacle as well so people are like super excited to see it you know like it just it is just like a sonic onslaught anyway you know like whether you like it or not it's you can you can just enjoy it and the shirts off and the rowdiness like you know it's great fun man you know, it's, it's good it's good fun <laughs> sometimes like playing slow droney loop stuff like it's just not always fun or exciting <laughs> it doesn't like in the environment you're getting less back from the audience but but, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're both they're both worthwhile experiences. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So, you know, talk, talking about playing that sort of quiet, considered music, you know, your music has, you know, a definitive film influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know you uh, personally as being someone who is obsessed with film. You know what I mean, and we're we're constantly talking. That's that's sort of the, the main basis of our conversations. Yeah. So I just wanted to 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 discuss sort of more generally, like who who are some of your favourite um, directors and filmmakers, and and sort of some sort of important films that you think um, would have a kind of influence on on the on the music that the Duke of Zook makes. Um. Well, I mean, the th- I mean, in terms of my favourite directors, I mean, it's you know n- nothing particularly surprising, but yeah, I mean, definitely like Jarmusch, yeah, um, Jarmusch, PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, uh, Kubrick, uh, Scorsese, and then you know, like a lot of these other kind of indie guys don't love all of it, but I mean, you know, those those guys are probably the the big the big five and the ones that have kind of like had the most influence on me, and you know, like most anticipation for their releases most of those guys yeah and and you know the guys that you kind of always go back to and they've made some of some of the favorites but i guess in terms of soundtracks for all those guys there's, yeah you know there's probably nothing i mean you know like 
I mean, Scorsese, you know, I don't think any of his soundtracks have probably had a personal uh, influence on me. I mean, you know, that Taxi Driver's score is, <laughs> is something special, but, you know, whether... Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Um, and maybe the same, you know, Jarmusch is using, like, weights and stuff, you know, so Mark Ribot, I'm, I'm a big fan of, and, and you know, the Neil Young, I always remember, like, the Neil Young score for Dead Man, just like, you know, just sparse guitar, yeah. written to the finished edited picture as far as I know um so yeah them you know they're my, they're my favorite directors but I guess in terms of like like actual soundtrack being inspired by it, I don't know actually that's quite that's quite a tough one like nothing really springs to mind I guess it's more it'd probably be the other way in, in the sense that it's artists that you like as you know the style as artists that have then moved into soundtracks you know so um you know, like Hecker, Ben Frost, like, of course, these guys, even Blank Mass, like, you know, not, not that I love this music, but just somebody that's kind of doing, you know, does something similar, obviously on a much higher level than us and has then moved into that site. I mean, some of my early stuff, a friend used on a film uh, at uni, you know, I'd write a few bits or would use a few bits. Um, a friend of mine did a documentary about architecture around the Barbican and he used some tracks of the second EP and that actually played to a big screening with a, in a cinema with um, a QA after. So that was pretty good. And somebody actually asked about some of the music. So, so, so that was good. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure who, um, if anybody, yeah, I guess it's just a case of like, maybe it's always going to be sort of cinematic and scory anyway, that it, that it could just fit. But, you know, I, I would really love to maybe get a commission now for, for a short film with, 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 with somebody and, and be, and actually like write the music, um, from scratch, you know, write some new, new bits, you know, fresh, like, yeah, score, score a film, a short film or a documentary because I've actually got a friend of mine Andrew Telling who's, who's a really good filmmaker and he's a musician as well and he does you know kind of similar stuff but he used to basically score all of his own films like his short documentaries about artists and there's always a bit envious of that but also like you know why aren't you doing it you know and then I made a film about a photographer a couple of years ago and the plan was to score it but I kind of ran out of time so I, I reached out to my friend Stephen who who's in Psychic Markers and and he's like oh, I got a few bits kicking around and he sent some stuff and it was really not kind of what I'd sort of preconceived to be so that was really interesting and I just started to put it in the film and cut to it and it's like yeah we just worked really well so again I was kind of like you know give yourself a kick up the ass and and, and start to start to do it you know so yeah. um yeah so I, I don't know if that's much help that's an answer but no, I mean so I mean it's interesting that you say blank mass because uh you know his uh, Ben's older project fuck buttons yeah the play in Milton Keynes yeah. all the time and you know he and um and I think it's Andrew that's in hot buttons yeah. as well yeah. they were really quite tight with with us all yeah yeah um you know and they're they're both brilliant brilliant guys you know and like you know um, have have fond memories of them staying over at our house and just yeah. like you know absolute dreams to be around but you know really enthusiastic you know, getting drunk with them at ATP and getting rowdy, you know, they were always up for it. It was, it was really, really good. Um, but I mean, for me, when when I was listening to Wedding Songs, um, I don't know why, I think it's because you, me and you were quite obsessed with this film years ago when it first sort of come out. Because you were big into Vincent Gallo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah of course. Which is, um, which is Trouble Every Day. Oh, it's the, it's the Tinder sticks guy. It's the guy from Tinder sticks. Tinder sticks, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's that's quite a grim, uh, morose score. But there's, I guess, there's some of the um, 
some of the sonic textures are sort of similar in some of the tracks on this record, I would say. Yeah. I just, just that just pops into my head for some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely interesting. I guess you know we're kind. Of, I guess you know we're in somewhat. You know, we're we're all probably inspired by the same sort of stuff and cut yeah. and cloth, as it were. Because I guess like Bad Lamenti as well. Like obviously everyone loves the the the, the peaks score and what he does. And yeah, it's it's just kind of like inevitable that you would be influenced by that. It's not like I'm necessarily sitting down you know like trying to write like Rhodes pieces and stuff but the, you know the the midnight noir sleaze yeah, like that's always going to be there in some form you know like uh, and yeah and probably the same with the tinder six guys but yeah you know you you always get people saying like oh, I, I i i really thought it sounded like this are you influenced by them and you're like actually i never really heard them but i probably would love them and they're like yeah yeah of course you would so there's that but i thought you were actually going to say gallo because again like you know probably some of the you know he's very guitar and his voice is obviously a large part of what he does but he does a lot of instrumental stuff and you know yeah. i'm 100 percent inspired by him like as an artist you know just as mm-hmm what he does and working across the board, you know, as, as controversial as some of his recent like opinions has been, but it doesn't really bother me to be honest, because I think it's just a bit tongue in cheek and, you know, like. That's, that's always been his shtick, right? Yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's always been a sort of a bit of an enfant terrible, you know. Exactly, exactly. It keeps people on their toes, you know, I'm not really easily offended, so I'm not going to like cry about it. So. No, same, same. <laughs> and I get, I mean, it's like, I mean, interestingly, you, you touched on it uh, just a moment ago, but, you know, I did want to ask, like, how would you work as, you know, as a filmmaker, but um, more in respect to you being an editor, an editor of film and, and um, I know, of uh, footage. Um, how how's that sort of informed your practice as a musician? Um, and I guess, are, are there any techniques or approaches that you've used, that for, you know, for both? I mean, I get. I mean, you know, I guess like inevitably, of course, it's going to influence it. Like whether that's like consciously or subconsciously, because you know, like the. Uh, I mean, when you when you edit, I mean, you're essentially like trying to make something like the best it is, you know, or take the best parts from a large chunk of material and you know front load it, put you know put the best stuff at the start, like you know however however you want to do it. But essentially, you're promoting something or selling something or telling a story. So I mean, you've got to whatever way you look at, it, you've got to kind of like grab the interest at the start and you know people have different tastes but um yeah I mean I, I just from speaking about putting all these different pieces together in this collage and this like kind of puzzle freestyle approach then yeah I, I guess it is like it is editing and we and we spoke a lot about like editing audio you know in a sense yeah. of like pulling stuff into logic projects and taking stuff out and adding it and moving it about so yeah I mean it is like it is editing it is assembling like you know assets in, in this case like audio sounds as opposed to, to to picture so yeah i guess it probably definitely does yeah influence you in the sense that you're yeah because editing is essentially <clears throat> isn't it you're just using footage to create the finished piece yeah. um, so I, I mean is there a definitive approach like i'm just thinking is there like a sort of editing approach that you would use for a, a documentary or a filmmaking project that you found Oh, if I could use this particular method of working and mm. see how it would apply to, to to the creation of music, is there anything like that that pops in your head? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll probably say no. I mean, it's a good question. It's like interesting, but yeah, again, I like maybe subconsciously, but I guess yeah. like I guess as the as a whole, as the finished piece, like it is 
a, like you know a story or a journey or like you know what, what, whatever you need to call it so I guess yeah in that sense like it is yeah I don't know <laughs> the, the audio film or I don't know yeah I mean this is the thing and I, I think again it's the reason I did choose to release the record is because each track has a there's a purpose behind each track do you know what I mean and mm-hmm. um, even if it's just right you know we're going to give you some field recordings now yeah it's not just that you know there's there's an element that's that's also propelling the music as well and yeah, i think yeah 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 for sure, for sure what you mentioned subconsciously <laughs> about there and uh, even the way that you've structured the record you know i think your 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 practice as a as a, a film editor yeah 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 i think yeah you've been evoked there yeah, for sure, for sure. Like I like this, I like this notion of like you know the soundtrack for the film that doesn't exist. You know, and yeah. if and if you did look at the highs and lows of the structure of the album, maybe that could be a film. You know, that you've got like after the big crescendo or the happy, it dies back down, and we need to like refine something before the next. You know, like before we go back up again. So yeah, in that sense, yeah, I guess maybe it is always kind of like you know, it is meant to be filmic. You know, and evoke like imagery. You know, like whatever that is, and you know, even down to like the 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 choice of cover you know the colors of the cover and this you know this soft kind of photograph and stuff like it is yeah i mean it's it's ingrained in me <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it's it meant to be like cinematic you know like whatever yeah. whatever that means <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully it is <laughs> all right well so you know we talked a lot about your record i'm i'm guessing sort of what i'm hinting at with this next question is sort of uh, to find out where you're going to be going musically next. So, I mean, what's currently inspiring you, um, that you that you're listening to? You know, what what recent records have you bought, or you know, what what sound are you currently into that's become a bit of an obsession, which might indicate where you'd be going next with the project? Yeah, um, well, I did I did write down a few pieces actually. I mean. I mean, the big—I guess the big one is like I got quite into Raf, Rafa, Rafaela, Anthony Rosario, who actually mastered the record, of course. Like, yeah. always been like in my periphery, but I kind of got into him like properly. I think like just before lockdown, and in lockdown in particular, that record, the Shameless Years, with the red and white cover. It's a track on there called um, Sky Burial, and like, I mean, that's just such an incredible piece, and even the title. Yeah, um, I actually got to actually saw him uh, just a couple of weeks before I master, got the master, record master by him at Otto. So seeing him, I mean, it's you know, it's kind of similar. It's, you know, it's not a million miles away into what he does, but he's obviously gone a lot more kind of outboard, you know, hardware heavy, but he still picks up the guitar, you know, and yeah, and so it's interesting. But I mean, sonically, he's just on another level, and just the way that he can, I mean, like the wall was shaking in Otto. You know, you go from like these beautiful intros to just like the bass. I mean, he's, he works in mastering, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for a long time, but just to see that, you know, and just see what he was doing and then bring it right back down. He got one of the support artists to play violin and then someone got on the piano, the house piano as well. So, he nice. can just, like, he's, you know, he's not afraid to go like either end of the spectrum. And yeah, sweet, huge sweeps in dynamic, right? But see, seeing that, so yeah, I mean, and he's somebody that I just, you know, I'm just always working back through his stuff and it's always there. And yeah, just the, just the textures and like the densities of it all, but it always sounds like him. But yeah, it's nice to see that he's still picking up the guitar. I mean, you know, it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite manipulated and modulated as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for that. So yeah, him and, you know, I really wanted him to master the record. So it was, it was great that he did it. And I think he just boosted it and it just sounded like 
sounded great. So yeah, it was good. Um, and there's this other guy called um, uh, Ch- uh, Chihai Hatakayama or something. I don't know if you know him. He run, he's, got yeah. his, he's got his own label, White, White Paddy Mountain. And this guy is just like so prolific. Like it's just insane, man. He's just doing so many records. I know he works on a bit more of like semi-improvised, you know, he kind of he doesn't do too many overdubs. He gets the mood and he kind of locks it in and then just reprocesses a bit more in post and adds to it. So he's kind of like working with what he's got. But yeah, he, he he's like amazing. And that record late spring from 2021, that was a big, I was listening to that quite a lot. I got, got really into that and I bought it on vinyl directly from him, shipped from Japan. So that was, that was like nice to took like six weeks to arrive but when it came I was just like yeah it's a beautiful record and from last year there's there's this group called Billow uh, Billow Observatory that record's called Stateside I don't know if you know those guys but um I think it's like one of the guys is in Denmark Jonas and I think he like runs a label he's involved in like a few different bits so and then I think the I believe the other guy's in America so they're kind of doing that you know sending digitally and transferring electronically and then adding I don't know to what I don't know but I mean the songs are like fully formed yeah. like pretty pretty well thought out so <clears throat> just a, again just like a really nice like ambient record like very you know but like it's not it's not like it's not too challenging like i don't mean that in like a derogatory maze that is a derogatory way it's quite immediate you know like each song and it's just it's just a just a great record it just sounds amazing and it's got really nice artwork and i think that actually i think i actually got it um maybe halfway through the recording so again to to, to receive it and play it, it was kind of a you know, like just an inspiration to just get it finished and but also to really start thinking about the artwork as well, which, which yeah. you know, I spent a lot of time on. So yeah, that 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 I really love. So I think like those three in terms of kind of that sort of that sort of sound and area was was quite was been quite big in the last couple of years. And then um other than that, um just I mean I've been I've gone back I've actually been going back through all the Autocra stuff just going back through like really the early stuff sort of doing an album a week and just going and like just finding like the sort of hidden gems you know just the tracks that you missed and there's just like some insane stuff out there I mean talk about just like being prolific and diverse and just kind of like never really repeating yourself I mean obviously they've really pushed pushed it to the limit now of like what you can do sonically you know like I saw them at the Barbican last year and they played in pitch black and I mean I didn't love it to be honest like I wasn't like blown away but just to just to see it and hear it you know I'm just like like what is this like what is this sound like what 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 is that sound they've selected for like a drum like what is the time signature it's just so free for everything and it's just a so yeah I mean so going back to their early stuff and just seeing like where they've got development yeah and just continuing um and then other than that I mean I've had a big you know got big 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 on the jazz and the miles as you know like uh (laughs) late to the party but you know I did I did buy bitches brewing like 2000 when Radiohead name dropped it you know and like I remember (laughs) (laughs) and like we were we were really into zoo at that time as well yeah, yeah, yeah. So Alan Harrison turned us on to Zoo and you were like, ah, you got to listen to this. <laughs> so I was like, Zoom in places. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. So that's a bit of a, a door opener for me, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was just because Radio had name dropped it. And, and to be honest, like, it wasn't that far out because we were listening to like, you know, we're like some of that, some of the early Sonic Youth and the SYR stuff is pretty experimental. You know, yeah. so it was always pushing like metal machine music and uh, uh, Aphex was... Um, Aphex was always name dropping. Um, who's that guy? Um, that really like early uh, electronica, pioneering electronica guy. Very, very minimal. Um, 
Uh, Stockhausen, Stockhausen. Stockhausen, yeah. yeah. You know, so I was buying this stuff because all these guys, I like the name dropping it and, you know, listening to something. So, so you know, like nothing was off, nothing was off limits, you know, nothing was yeah. like too much. Not that you're putting on all the time, like, oh, this is amazing, listen to this thing. But it was all there. So we were all for like, you know, you know, experimentalism and like challenging, you know, listening to challenging music. And, um, and then just, and then just always like going back through Tom Waits again as well. And, you know, just, yeah. Just like not again, like Miles, just like not repeating yourself, you know, like just not wanting to repeat yourself and just having like confidence and talent to just sort of do just different things like wild and wacky and just be able to you just kind of got to get that into you, like, you know, like never get comfortable. And then, you know, like, <laughs> just just keep pushing it and looking for, you know, some, something else. Um, and other than records, the only other thing I really wanted to say was that just like, I've been doing that filming for Earthquake or Devices I, I, like the last couple of years now. And just being sent to film arts that use their pedals. So we went to like Igor Cavallero and David Kumo in particular, and just really seeing like, like what I would call real musicians, the way they're working. And again, just being yeah. like, buck up your ideas, man, and just like get it done. You know, like it's just no excuses now. I mean, I, these guys are like careerists and they're doing it like every single day, but yeah, just, 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 just like being like, yeah, just sort of like doing like, what are you doing? Just, just, just get it done. And, but also actually getting inspiration physically from the pedals and the crazy sounds and just write, writing with using those tools and you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so I think that's it really. And other than that, I just, um, I've, I've been going back through some of the early Sonic new stuff, Hecka always, and Aphex and Border Canada, um, like always really. And, and Evan Cimineti as well, really, because he's a guy that's sort of doing similar stuff with the guitar. Oh, now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great guitarists, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did that record with that Jake Jake Hoare guy last year, the Talisman. That, that was I like that record. That's a good record. So, yeah, so, man. So. Just a little bit, but I, I, you know, um, th- this is something that's of core interest to me, and, and I think will, will be part of the core interest of this show. Actually, yeah, it's discussing actually the practicalities of of, of making music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I mean, for you, what does the usual week look like? And how do you set aside time for music? Is there sort of a routine or a ritual that you follow in order to get work done? Or is there is it more sort of a open-ended approach and you sort of just hunker down when you need to? Yeah, a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, like, definitely, like, sort of, I wouldn't say forcing it, but, like, you know, designating times and days and stuff. And like, and I do find out when my neighbors are out, you know, so I can make a bit more, bit more noise. And right. my, when my girlfriend's in the office as well, but <clears throat> I mean, a typical week, like a good week would probably involve like going out shooting twice. So, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the week out home editing, you know, or just calls and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I tend to look, just look at the calendar and, you know, I'm definitely trying to get at least like a few hours a week done, which is at least like get setting the rig up and working through what I like the new stuff yeah and some of the old stuff ready for life but yeah just like you know typically like probably something like a wednesday afternoon you know it's like it's like good a day as anywhere or a monday monday or wednesday afternoon is good a day as anywhere sometimes at the weekend um when i had the studio you set aside for for each of those sessions i mean it'd just be like after lunch you know for a couple of hours realistically there's only so much i can do really like you know when i'm like kind of i'm most productive and focused you know like i don't want to i'm not i can't i can't do like eight hours man i just just can't do it um and also like when you know when i'm like mostly editing um 
from my job as well. It's like it's quite hard to, I mean, you don't always have to work in logic, but it's still the same kind, you know, it's still like working with technology for me, you know, so um, even if it's just with the pedals, so. Kind of moving from one program to the other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From some editing software to logic, so I can understand why you'd probably be like, yeah off of a computer screen today yeah 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 exactly so but then sometimes it's good to just you, you know you might not you feel like oh, i'm probably maybe not going to get that much done but once you pick it up and you start going and you just lock in you just going and going and going and like recording some demos on the phone or even firing up logic and just lining in straight away making a few notes and being like yeah that's something like to come back to or you know this or you've added a new part to the to, to an existing like piece you know and then be like okay that's that's taking shape so um yeah you know it's just like i don't know i've just kind of become more comfortable now with like not forcing it and no deadlines and don't have to do a certain amount but you know like not not having not having goals of like recording deadlines or gigs you know probably makes it worse but you know, man, get <laughs> doing it for long enough. It's, it's kind of, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like it will get, it will get what needs to be done will get done eventually. That's, that's kind of my, 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 my. Yeah, so it's sort of the same with me. Um, it's hard, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's always interesting to see and hear how uh, different musicians approach their work. You know, because there's certainly some people that I know who are really, really regimented in uh their practice and they, they'll set aside a chunk of time each day mm. but you know it, it, it the res, it's the results that matter really isn't it and it, mm. you know you arrive there it's going to be down to each individual but i think it's always inspiring to to, to hear how people approach their work you know and mm. maybe give you you know find other musicians can find inspiration from it in terms of maybe modifying how how they they approach their work or you know if they've got a particular problem at the moment they're not able to get through or push through yeah great to hear from other people um you know just to give you a bit of a prompt really because you you did sort of say that um we, we you haven't touched on this but you uh, this conversation but um you know you definitely told me that you were using brian eno's oblique strategies in the studio yeah 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 i forgot about that actually yeah they came out like and yeah, again, like it's pretty, yeah, you know, like I think there's this no rules, uh, yeah, no rules, like not doing the same thing. We do, we just got them out a few times and, you know, I forget the kind of things they say, but it's like, you know, half speed the song or like, you know, switch, you know, reverse the song, start with the end, you know, switch the instruments, change change the instrument for the, for the melody. So I think we definitely did like parts of that. Yeah. And, you know, like it sounds obvious, but sometimes you, when, when you're like, when you're like writing or just doing music, you kind of forget these things and you get so locked into your ways that you do have to like step back and maybe it's like oh, looking at these cards. Yeah. And trying, you know, some, you know, you hear about, you hear stories of like bands that do like, you know, did like 25 versions of a song you know, before they sat and, you know, that's definitely something that I've not done, but you know, <laughs> maybe that's too excessive, but yeah. yeah, I think just like trying, you know, like, just not settling on the first option maybe the first option is not always right. i mean sometimes it is but you know it's like this thing we, I think we were talking about the other day as well it's like nothing's ever like really finished you just need to have the confidence or the discipline or be content you know and secure enough to be like okay 
I think that's it. You know, I could end up ruining it. I could keep adding overdubs, but is that is that really going to make a difference to the listener in the end? You know, and I think there was that Bjork quote. I, I forget what it was exactly. Just paraphrasing, but it's just like, yeah, the the song is the song is never finished, but it just gets to a point where you have to step back and be like, you know, I'm going to send my child off to sea now. You know, like, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, it takes it. You know, without getting too pretentious, it takes on another life form once it goes to the audience. You know, whatever the listener. Uh, it's then something else differently but yeah you know sometimes you just yeah you just gotta know like as long as you haven't ruined it like you know there's only so much you can get in there and if it sounds good like i don't know just try, trust yourself and just yeah yeah and under it and leave it <laughs> all right we're gonna end the show with a okay. pop quiz because cool. you know, sounds like you need to get oh, man, I think my girlfriend's cooking now I'm just, yeah i know we can hear that's <laughs> no, good though it's fine it's fine <laughs> yeah 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 um, so okay. <laughs> it's like, oh God, I feel like I'm on a Tinder date or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sober as well. Get to know yeah. your questions, but yeah. hopefully this will give you a bit more insight into to who you are as a person. All right, what's your favourite city? Favourite city? Um, yeah. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say New York. <laughs> what was the last book you read? Uh, last book I read. Um, actually, the last book I read was uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, like Studying Scarlet, the first one. The very first. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's decent, man. I prefer the first half. I like the first half of the first me. Yeah, Holmes is uh, good good writing. But I'm currently reading something. What am I reading? Mouth to Mouth by Antoine something. I've almost finished it. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I thought it was going to be better. But yeah, I've been, been, reading, been reading a lot the last year, actually. But yeah. Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, a study in Scarlet. <laughs> Did you finish Red Harvest? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's quite yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I've got, got, got quite a few more noirs to get. I'm going to get back on the, the, the noirs after the hard-boiled, <laughs> the hard-boiled detective novels. Yeah, they're great. They're so good. All right, what was the? <laughs> you, I mean, you kind of talked about this, but what's the last record you bought? Last record I bought, um, last record I bought actually was, um, I think it was the Ulrika Spacek record, you know, um, quite quite a normal sort of indie band, but um, right. I, really, I, really, I really like them. It's their third record, just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's pretty, it's pretty good. It's quite quite straight sort of like, you know, indie alternative, I guess. I don't know, but it's quite what, cool. What format? Vinyl, vinyl. Yeah, I got that on vinyl. Yeah, I'm back on the, I'm back on the sort of my third period of excessively buying vinyl again now i mean you know how yeah yeah well, i can see your collection but yeah just yeah I'm, I'm yeah i'm just pretty much just buying vinyls at the moment now so um Still yeah i also bought that i bought that dead dead rat orchestra i've got that i bought that new one on a uh, boom cat as well oh okay i haven't dead rat orchestra that was cool i haven't listened to it yet you know, so, uh, getting 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 quite a lot of praise so we'll see we'll see we'll see how good it is i think he's from manchester right no. uh I mean, it sort of rings a bell, man. Yeah. Yeah, have a look. You'll probably recognise the cover. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Um, what's your <laughs> favourite restaurant? Oh, man. <laughs> or, right, what was the last good meal you had in a yeah. restaurant? Well, well, funnily enough, I ordered Thai from this place called Pakata last night in a Crouch End. And I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i not sure it's my favourite restaurant, but it's like the sixth time I've ordered from there, and it's pretty consistent. So, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be climbing up there. It's yeah. like most visit, but yeah, Hakata and Crouch End is good. And but I also like the pizzas in Small Beer, just down the road from it. So. And what did you get from um, Bicata, did you say? Yeah, um, spiced aubergine. Oh, man. 
incredible. Not as not as hot as usual. We're both a bit like it's not not as spicy. That and um and just the red panang curry and uh, and uh, veggie gyoza, of course, which has got to be one of my favourites. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I do. But they are banging. Um, yeah, and you're still vegetarian, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Long time now, long, long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really long. So time. Like Thai, Thai and Indian food, you know, is like pretty good. You can just, you know, spice, spice, and just replace, just replace um, tofu for the for the Thai stuff. So yeah, I love it. <clears throat> All right, what's the worst gig you ever played? Worst gig I've played. Um, <laughs> Oh God, I don't know, man. Um, just Any, to... like I'm, I'm thinking more from a perspective of like horror stories, like equipment malfunctioning, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like an, there's definitely one Akari show at one point where there was where we definitely had to stop a couple of songs. I think Southie was couldn't hear and he was going out of time, and I definitely had a dodgy lead that was cutting out. I wonder if it was. I wonder if it was the, this maybe the second bar central gig, but yeah, I think the only thing, yeah, the only time I can like actually remember stopping songs and like having technical problems with the guitar would be an Akari gig. But um, other than that, hopefully like well rehearsed enough to at least be able to blag it and not look pissed off on stage. So yeah, I'll say yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll say an Akari show some some time ago. Right. So you you you've been pretty blessed. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, what's what's the best gig you you played? Best gig I've played. Um, in terms of, in terms like, of performance, like, or? like, or or like you know the venue was was really good. The crowd response was good. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I, re- I did really like that. Duke gig I said in um when we played in uh in um Frankfurt on the last night just because it was like the last night and it went really good and it was a cool show and it was a cool gig and everyone was there so that was kind of good in terms of mood but I don't know I feel like maybe I feel like I feel like maybe the last gig I did at Otto just like really went to plan and stuff I did the visuals and it was really quiet and it was really busy and I just kind of thought like yeah you know like I'm not really sure how I could make that better and yeah. but then but then you just want every gig to be like that, like everyone really yeah, sure. quiet, sat down and have like nice visuals and like and it just to sound really good and you like have no technical issues. So yeah, I think maybe that yeah the probably the last gig I played at Otto, I can't remember when it was. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll say that. <clears throat> All right, what's your favourite sound? Favourite sound. Um, Doesn't have to be musical. Probably not a guitar. You know what? Probably, probably like a synth pad. Like I don't know. I just really love the sound of like a nice, like yeah, or dreamy synth pad. Not too eighties, you know, like a quite a modern sort of sounding one. But I do also like really love the sound of the piano. To be honest, like just like what it, what it can do and just like how like how versatile it is in terms of mood, considering like how you know how limited the kind of timbre is, I guess. Maybe someone would disagree that it's not limited, but you know what I mean? Just that how you can convey so many moods, you know, more yeah. the sad side of it. You know. <laughs> and uh, on the same question, like I just mean more generally, like what's your favorite sound? Oh, it's not musical. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you want. Um, I don't know. Like you know, is it <laughs> that early morning like dawn chorus? That's like pretty relaxing, right? And nice to 
to hear start on the record as well to 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 pick something like positive um yeah i don't know i mean you know like a, a cinema projector it's not something you hear every time but i mean that sound obviously means that you're in for something good and yeah <laughs> i hear that and that ties in with what, what we've discussed but um i don't know i like my, my girlfriend's french voice you know that's what, that's what i should be saying that's a good that's a good answer <laughs> get some brown points for that <laughs> right uh last piece of artwork you were struck by i'm thinking of a painting or you could be could be more general um bloody hell man um i'm trying to think to what i've actually seen recently yeah like an album cover you know a photograph that you've been like whoa piece of artwork <laughs> um browsing online no just having just having <laughs> actually okay well yeah i wasn't like totally blown away by this but again it was just because it's so random and it's like outside of the uk it sounds like even sounds pretty like pompous but i was in i was in paris a couple of weeks ago uh i'm, I'm, I'm passing through paris and a friend of ours had just been there the week before and they recommended an exhibition by this guy called uh thomas Dumont. I believe he's a German guy and he basically does this thing where he takes like famous photographs well famous you know if you know them you know them and then he um he then builds the photograph he builds the set of the photograph from cardboard and like hand builds this thing sort of like a Michel Gondry you know like very organic builds and, and then takes a photo of what he's built replicating the site and then destroys the set so the only lasting thing is like his walked photo of what of what is a, a replica of an actual photo so you go into the gallery and they're, they're massive and you see them and they look like real until you get up close to them and then you see them and then there's, you have like the uh, company in text that tells you, oh, this involved like, you know, there's one that's like a forest and it involved like, I don't know, something stupid like 300,000 leaves cut out and he's painstakingly sat there and put together this forest like out of paper based on a cardboard, like based on a photo that he's seen. And there's like one of like a Japanese like news studio or something like that and he's built. So it kind of reminds you of like the Michel Gondry sets, but yeah, I went to that and, and I was like, wow, this is, that's like, you know, commitment to your art, you know, and uh, pretty impressive. So yeah, actually that's, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that, that had me in awe. I think that's a good yeah, thing. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> and lastly, a figure yep. from history that you admire. <laughs> it's a pure Tinder date question, mate. Man, I don't know. Um, I don't know. You can get too ponty with an answer like that, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to be a bit boring and just, I'm just going to say, um, <laughs> I'm just going to say Jarmusch because and I'm not even going to go that far back just because he's like the epitome of cool and he's kind of like you know the rare exception where somebody just gets to do everything by their own rules you know like just make the films that he wants to make and yeah he grew up in a good time and he does music and he just seems like very humble and sincere and knowledgeable and mm. and just like yeah yeah you know he's a, he's, a, yeah, he's a good guy to look up to I think you know so yeah <laughs> <Look> <laughs> yeah 
All right, well, with that, man, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really informative chat, and uh, and I hope other people find it <laughs> as well. Well, the clock says two hours 22, so you might have to do some editing on that one, man. <laughs> I'll do it, release it in like five parts. Or <laughs> I'm sure we'll get it on there, man. But yeah, thank you so much for your time, man, and I'll speak to you. No, 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 thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I loved it, man. Thanks, cool. All right, All right speak to you. Bye, man.